Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, where we're podcasting worse and worse every day and coming in like it's next month. I'm your host, Bree Rohde from London, Ontario, and I play for the United States of America. And who is with me on the line today? I'm Liz, and I'm sick and tired of hearing what a great Soviet... Or, fuck. <laughs> I'm Liz, and I'm sick and tired of hearing what a great team the Soviets have. Scrum! <laughs> <laughs> The fact that that line could be read and I didn't roll my eyes. Like, Kurt Russell's a genius. <laughs> the entirety of, like, this movie, like, I, when I rewatched it, I was just like, you know, if I if I took myself out of myself right now, I'd be like, okay, let's fucking chill. But because I am me, I just had goosebumps the whole time. It's the magic of the movies, baby. Uh, welcome to the new show, Liz. Friend of the show, best friend of the show. Um, you've been on the previous iteration of this show, Peak Show, discuss everything from Marissa Development and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia to Britney Spears and the Pop Girlies. Um, but but with every episode on which you appear, hockey invariably comes up. I think hockey even came up on the Pop Girlies podcast. Pro- Honestly, it would make sense that it did. Um, yes. You know, you start them young. They don't have childhoods. They're put into the machine. It's beautiful. I think that's exactly <laughs> it. But here, you know, you're assuming the role that uh, you were born to play. We're talking about the movie Miracle, the Disney hockey movie from 2004, based on a true story of the uh, 1980 Miracle on Ice. Welcome back, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. When you told me that you wanted to do Miracle, when you first told me first, like the the concept of Tales from the Rec Room, I was like, oh, let's go. I love this so (laughs) much. I literally, my bedroom growing up was in the rec room because like the way my parents' (laughs) house was set up is that we kind of essentially had like a second master bedroom downstairs. Mm -hmm. So I went I became like a teenager. They're like, there you go. You can have your own shower and your bathroom. It'd be great. There was also a TV downstairs. So I just watched so many movies downstairs, just like in the rec room. Also was laminate floor. So I spent so much time dancing down there. <laughs> just break dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, this is fucking made for me. And then you were like, oh, Miracle. And I was like, oh, yeah, literally my time. We've done a lot of movies so far, and like this isn't strictly a movie podcast. Now, I was asking myself today as I was making like the schedule uh, for the next couple of weeks, like why am I doing so many movies? And I realized it's because movies were really hard to do on Peak Show, and now I'm getting like my movie ish <laughs> out. Um, we do have a we do have an episode on books coming out, and we if you're listening to this when it came out just last week, we did a video game episode. So. Yeah, Ted, Ted and I were talking Chrono Trigger. Oh my god. See, this is why like this concept, when you said it, I was like, this is so perfect. Because all of us can just be like, yeah, that fucking thing that we were like obsessed with as children and wore the DVD out or wore the VHS out or mm-hmm. like got burned from a friend on a CD. Like, it's perfect. Yeah, I'm 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 having so much fun right now. So before we go forward, Tales from the Rec Room has one important tradition that's carried over from Peak Show, and that is plugs up front. Now we're recording this at a bit of a weird limbo time because Twitter <laughs> is Twitter's not gone, and even I'm still technically on it. Like I was saying <laughs> off mic, like I have to keep it for the show, but I am barely using it. But Liz, where can we find you online as of right now, July 6th, and read your <laughs> thoughts with the caveat that it might have all imploded? All right. Well, as of July 6th, I am on Twitter. As I keep telling everyone, I am the band on the Titanic, <laughs> and I will... It, it's been a gen- like it's been a pleasure playing with you tonight, gentlemen. And that like when it dies, I'm gone. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at yeah no for sure. 
Um, I'm trying to get on Blue Sky as my life raft. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, also, I do a hockey podcast if you want to hear me talk about hockey all the time um, with lovely uh, friend of, well, Peak Show and likely Tells from the Record as well, Helen, um, called Real Good Pros. That's good with the U, where we care about strong life beliefs, a totally normal amount. Uh, although with their recent signings, maybe we're distancing ourselves and feeling weird about the Toronto Maple Leafs, but still a totally normal amount. Um, yeah, I don't know. You'll find me in the wind, I suppose, <laughs> if Twitter goes down. <laughs> You know what? I'm just going to digress to say my thoughts on the signings, which is um, it's not so much that this is the first time in a while that we've signed assholes. It's that this is the first time in a while we've signed guys that we know are assholes. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So friend of the show, Mike, and I were discussing this. And uh, I will just say, because I mean, if if, let's face it, if you're listening to this, it's because you know who I am and you know that I love talking (laughs) hockey. So this is it's not a surprise. Um, that I think during the Kyle Dubas era, it's not that I, so much that I believe that Kyle Dubas is a like perfect social justice warrior of any kind. Um, his dad's a cop or was a cop. <laughs> and lest um, we forget the Nick Cousins situation in the Sioux. Like, oh, yeah. Kyle Dubas um, is not a perfect angel. And I, I don't no. think anyone, I mean, I don't think anyone that I talk to thinks that kind of thing. But if anything, I think the, and this is a cynical read on it, but I think the lesson that was learned from the Nick Cousins situation, which I definitely feel like we saw in Toronto, was Kyle Dubas shied away from guys that would draw controversy. Exactly. Which happens to mean shying away from guys who have been vocal about right-wing beliefs. Because, like, let's face it, there's not a lot of guys on the other spectrum, on the other side of the spectrum in hockey. There (laughs) there aren't a lot of guys. Like, the only guy who had, like, vaguely leftist vocal leanings just fucking retired. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, no, exactly. And I mean, also just think back to the Austin Matthews situation, like, a few seconds ago, (laughs) and how Kyle was just like, I found out on Twitter, and I'm gonna rip him rim from limb. Like, I can't You were the one who posted the Big Bird smashing the door video (laughs) in response to that, weren't you? (laughs) Someone was. (laughs) It just, I always think of that, like... But yeah, I I um, agree. I think Kyle Dubas is very media savvy, and knows that especially in a city like Toronto, you already have the media. If you Mm -hmm. have someone who's talking dumb shit online or not getting vaccinated or whatever, like it's going to be times 10. And so, yeah, again, like I I think I look at it really cynically as well because hockey. But like, yeah, I agree. I think that it was like a smart move not to do that. And now there's new Mm -hmm. management who's like, I don't fucking. Yeah. And and the thing is, I like, I hate to say this. I hate to like, I would justify it for Bertuzzi because he's good. <laughs> and like, but yeah. Max Domi isn't good. He's, he's, he's just got kid. the last name Domi. Exactly. He's, and he's not even tough like like Ty Domi was. No, like, like it's, um, it's completely, yeah, exactly. I loved the, uh, the tweet that was going around that was just like, not only is he just like a Nepo baby, he's not even like fully committed. And it was just cl- like screenshots of him in every city he's been in the last like four seasons. Just like, yeah, I really want to stick around here. Like, I really want to prove myself and be here. Like, as he's saying, like with Toronto, like, oh yeah, I've always wanted to be here. And it's like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. Like, you just want to stop moving because you are shit and you can't stay on a team yeah well and like to me i think of he is a nepo baby who is as 
her like the same skill level as a fellow Nepo baby, Caspery Kapanen, but one of those guys always gets booted down to the AHL. And one of those guys has a really hot dad, and I think that should be taken into consideration when we boot said person down to the AHL. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, dad's trip. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anyway. So we should get into talking a miracle, but... So the twist or the conceit of Tales from the Rec Room is that one or both of the co-hosts has to have first seen this uh, via either physical media, traditional media. So Liz, did you see it like in the theater within the first year that came out, home video, like kind of when in relation to when uh, Miracle was released, did you first see it? Uh, So I definitely didn't see it in theater. I've been racking my brain since you asked me when I first saw Miracle. It feels like it's just something that's been in my life uh, since I can, like, remember. Uh, I want to say it was either, like, $5 bin at Walmart and I was like, hockey movie! Or uh, my family used to go to Blockbuster every Friday and we all got to pick, like, a movie that we would watch over the weekend. So it's totally possible that we just watched it, like, we rented it from Blockbuster. But... family movie rental nights i miss it like it was truly like every friday we would go to the blockbuster on dundas street and barry and get candy uh we all used to get like one candy and then my mom and dad would pick a movie my brother would pick a movie and i would pick a movie and we would have that for the weekend and like that's something that's been lost but anyways i digress um Mm-hmm. But yeah, it appeared in my life somehow. I absolutely had it on DVD because it came with me to university. Um, and I just, I still have the DVD, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. I got rid of so many DVDs. I feel like this show is me, like, compensating for how much physical media I got rid of. I um, am a pack rat when it comes to physical media. And, like, like I had, like, 10 DVDs that came with me to university and like stuck with me and then the like collection grew and I have like a whole drawer now my mom is the same way like she has her like dvd drawer we still have the like bible of cds I can't get rid because it will disappear from streaming and how am I supposed to watch miracle if it is not on streaming hey that's the whole reason why I decided to take this angle with the show (laughs) um yeah in terms of me getting rid of all my shit let me just say I didn't anticipate having a whole ass fucking house someday uh I did not anticipate having a garage so (laughs) there's so much room in my garage I don't know what to do with it I lug everything around and just make everyone who helps me move very upset (laughs) they're like why do you have like all of these dvds and I'm like I might want to watch it one day (laughs) But you, you know, I've I followed you on Twitter for the better part of a decade, Liz. You do when you get into movies, you're like, I'm watching this old movie, and you really commit to it. So I love it. Um, so for me, um, the first time I saw this was actually in my grade ten history class. But uh, this is going to make you laugh. So my grade ten history teacher was probably my favorite teacher in all of high school, Mr. Morrison. Um, I had it, a Mr. Morrison who was one of my favorite. Uh, he was my English teacher, but yeah. Uh, I, I so. Mm-hmm. It took me until my 30s for me to look back and realize, oh my God, Mr. Morrison was very good looking. He was like <laughs> Brendan Fraser kind of handsome. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. like the, like 
you look at him and you just think, you look sweet, you know? But I wasn't into boys back then, you know? Oh, you know. <laughs> um, but no, this will make you laugh. The reason we were watching it, because he wasn't one of those teachers who was like, yeah, it's the end of the semester, just watch a movie. Like, he was a really, really active and involved teacher. Uh, I joined the History Society because of him. And, like, we would have, like, monthly movie nights. Like, we did Schindler's List once. We did Enemy at the Gates, which was, like, probably one of my favorites. But this was what we were watching in our unit about propaganda. I mean, and I fucking mean. Well, he, he didn't. He was of the thesis that the movie itself is not propaganda because there wasn't anything actively going on at the time. But basically, for how sports are used as propaganda. That said, I don't like. I kind of see. I was like, oh, he's right, but I really like this movie. <laughs> so it was about a year after it came out because this would have been in like the winter of 2005 that I watched this mm-hmm. movie. So it was on a VHS because it was, um, because I don't think schools like DVDs, DVD players existed back then, but you think a public school in fucking Timmins could afford a DVD player? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what were your go to movie snacks during this era? Okay, so my go to is the same as it. Like, same as it is now, uh, popcorn with butter and some of those, like, kernel seasonings. Uh, I remember specifically this was the go-to, like, for movies and, like, sleepovers, but also uh, my family and I would watch Survivor every Thursday, and so my dad and I would make popcorn and we would have popcorn when we watched Survivor. Um, but that or a bag of chips. I <laughs> love love them so much sometimes something like sweet like i remember when my friends and i would have like sleepovers sometimes we would like go to bulk barn and just buy so much candy and then dump it in one bowl and then just eat candy out of this bowl but like i'm definitely more of a savory kind of girl well this was around when uh like yeah i agree with you i'm a salty snacks gal Mm -hmm. and um for the most part, as I got into high school, my snacks started becoming a little more sensible when I watched movies. Like, I loved munching on grapes and watermelon. However, we're talking grade 10. That was when I got my first job at McDonald's. And one thing I always brought home, I love cold bag fries. Oh, wow. So, yeah. For me, it would have been like, come home from a shift. But I've got like hour old fries <laughs> in the bag. We're going to eat those and watch a movie. That sounds delicious. Uh, also, I remember vividly eating sweet chili heat Doritos for the first time while having like a sleepover and watching movies with my like best friend at the time. And so there. Okay, Morgan Riley. <laughs> <laughs> I did it first, Morgan. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay. So, what did young you love about this movie? Okay. So, I mean, I'm me. I love Jack O'Callaghan so much. I saw that boy, and I was like, okay. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, I get it, I get it. <laughs> um, but also, uh, I, I really loved the hockey. I think that's mm-hmm. one thing, and we're going to talk about it later, something that's really like stood up with this movie is the hockey that is in it. It, it feels like I'm watching a hockey game. And so it, I think I really enjoyed that because it was something that I was like, yes, I like hockey. Like, I wasn't as, like, insane. As, or I don't know, because I... Mm-hmm. I but like it was something that I was like yes this is a thing I like and this movie is doing the thing I like and it's making me feel really good about the thing I like and just like all the emotion kind of like wrapped up in it and everything like that and so yeah it was definitely just like this feeling of like okay that is a thing I like watching and this movie is fun to watch about it kind of thing yeah 
For me, I think what I loved most was actually Kurt Russell's performance. This, um, I, yeah. This was my <laughs> first introduction to Kurt Russell, which is fascinating because the, like, him. And he was the, prolific in, especially in Disney stuff. Yeah. Well, and then now I look back and I was like, the first time I saw Kurt Russell was in Miracle. And now I'm just like sitting here thinking about him and like Escape from New York. And I'm like, that's his, one of the best looking men of all time. Wow. And and now he's Star-Lord's dad. Like, <laughs> What a journey the, for that. I love Kurt Russell. But anyway. <laughs> he... He seems lovely. I don't, you know, if if he isn't, I don't want to know. Yeah, I've heard um, he went on um, the like ringer, like Bill Simmons podcast. He went on and did like an interview with him. And Bill Simmons is my crazy Boston uncle that I don't like, but I still listen to his podcast. It's a complicated relationship we have. But apparently Um, he just rolled up in like a leather jacket with like cigarettes in his pocket. Like usually the celebrities have their like handlers come with them. And Kurt Russell was just like, I'm here. Let's talk about the movies i've done and he even said like miracle great movie um mid script like he was like i love doing the movie but we really had to beef up that script and he seems very just like yeah i'm kurt russell and what the fuck do you want (laughs) yeah so um i have a weird kurt russell connection um it's this is one of those things where like i I don't doubt that it's true because, but like, you know how in small towns people will just say stuff and everyone will accept it as true. But like, everyone told me growing up, and not even in like a schoolyard rumor type, like all the adults around me knew that apparently Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn had a cottage near Kappa's Casing. That honestly tracks because, yeah, like, here's the thing, American listeners cottages in Canada, celebrities love them. They love yeah. the little lakes that we have. They love, like, because, like, that's further, like, from Muskoka where the stupid cottages are. But, like, mm-hmm. a lot of celebrities have cottages up here. And it yeah. makes sense. I would believe it. I have a feeling there are a lot of, um, like, D-listers with cottages around where I live now. Um, with the caveat being that, like, you're a D-lister because you would have to be to have a, something on Lake Erie. No one likes Lake Erie, <laughs> yeah, I don't no. think. No, exactly. Um <laughs> The Canadian side of Lake Erie is better than the American side, but like it is so polluted. So was Miracle something that you enjoyed like with your friends or were you kind of in your own and liking it? I was kind of in my own. Like growing up, like I didn't really have a lot of friends that were in hockey or we were like in hockey into the sense that like our dads watch hockey and so we would mm-hmm. watch it with them kind of thing. Like my best friend growing up, like her like, whole family played hockey and so she like was hockey adjacent but she didn't like watch hockey this is definitely something that like later on my brother really started to like miracle and so we like now every once in a while i'll just get like a random text that's just like a herbs brook like her brooks quote and i'm like oh miracle. <laughs> but it was definitely something that was like kind of like a me thing um but as like i've kind of like in recent years like making like kind of the friends on like hockey twitter and everything like that it's something that i've shared like i know like who the fuck makes friends on hockey twitter (laughs) i don't know it's so (laughs) weird who would do that um but yeah like it's something that i've been able to share like as i found people with my interests but definitely like as a kid it was just like me sitting there just like usa usa (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely like i said for me um i was sitting in there like okay i under like i understand that this is mr morrison trying to get me to look more critically at the olympics and stuff but also this is such a fun game and uh, or fun uh fun movie and um like i've i've told the story on when i've appeared on real good pros before but 
like I grew up in a family that really likes hockey. Like um, my my dad is very serious about hockey and my mom's the opposite. She's very fun about hockey. Um, and my dad's a Habs fan. My mom's a Leafs fan. You know, it's it's difficult. Two um, households, both alike in dignity. <laughs> dignity. In fair Verona. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so and yet they weren't into sports movies I uh, for some reason. Like... So uh, probably because, well, and it's funny because my dad, the one thing he loves as much as sports is he loves geopolitics. And so you'd think he'd be super into this. Dad! But <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think, like, was my dad not living with us at this point? Because my dad had years at a time where he was traveling for work and we only saw him on weekends. And uh, I started calling him weekend dad at one point. He hated that. <laughs> Weird. I wonder why. Mark, if you're listening, I love you. You're the best. Um, but yeah, like my my parents, uh, they they weren't like let's watch a sports movie together. Like our family movies were gross out comedies. Um, and at the same time, like you know, I was in high school and I was getting to like more sophisticated movies. I was going through my David Fincher phase, like, um, and yet I still had a huge affection for these like dorky sports movies like this and rookie of the year and like the kids sports movies and so this was like a shameful little thing that i kind of hid from my friends because it wasn't a snobby movie yeah my parent like my mom is a huge uh 80s action girly um so uh and my dad my dad will watch literally everything but his favorite movie is mississippi burning which is always fascinating to me because jim what also some of your politics clash with that but it's fine it's fine Jim. um but yeah no sports movies were definitely something that we watched because it was just like here's a family movie i don't know let's go mm-hmm. you're i mean you and your brother are also athletes as well like we weren't yeah so yeah, yeah. and also like from the hockey standpoint like my my brother played hockey so we were mm-hmm. just constant like it was like okay yeah hockey like here's a hockey movie i don't know let's watch this <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh i always like to contextualize the era um and I always forget about the intro of this movie until I watch it. But we open with this little nice little montage because it's the ousting of a criminal Republican president, a recession, a gas crisis, beloved celebrities dying, and a panic in Russia. So how's everyone else doing today? I love the beginning of this because it is just a perfect, like, it's so, like, cheesy, Disney, like, campy, like, all right, we got to give them a little, like, five-minute explainer of, like, let's set the scene. And it is literally just, like, a montage of, like, speeches and, like, Nixon getting outed and, like, just all of this stuff. And you're just like, what am I watching right now? <laughs> like, Which is funny because not to bring too much discourse into it, but, I mean, it's a podcast. We're here to bring discourse into it. But, like, you... This movie is all about like middle class white guys whose lives will be the least affected by any of this. No, exactly. Like they, I know. Like later, they're showing like um the uh, what was it like the students being like uh, kidnapped in Iran or like, yes, some, yeah. So uh, you know uh, Argo. Um, and it's and like, it's just kind of Kurt Russell like that's bad. Like, <laughs> and then later he's just like and. It's something that, like, I agree with, but then also because I am the same geopolitics and sports, I'm like, uh, but he's like, it's just a game. Like, they're just kids. And I'm like, it's not just a game. <laughs> like, Yeah. So, like, what we're trying to say is that this um, movie came out uh, during an era of, like, because it's set in 1980, OBS, uh, but it came out during an era of incredibly normalized patriotism. But, like, 
patriotism in 2023 is very different from patriotism even in 2004. Because like right now we think of patriotism as wing nut country fried patriotism. And this was an incredibly like I call I literally call this American Idol patriotism because it is a very it's more earnest than aggressive. It's like the Disney Channel. I love the flag commercials like um, this is only a year or two after American Idol released a, a cast CD in which the entire cast sang God bless the USA like without an ounce of irony like it was it was really cool and touching to love your country and it's weird because there was a two-year window in which I would say that's understandable from 2001 to 2003 yeah like you know they, they just got sacked on their own turf but um, then the US goes and invades a sovereign nation um, and like you know alienates the countries that won't support them and so this is one of those movies that did capitalize on usa fever and it worked Mm -hmm. you know it was very successful usa and i think it also like worked in a way because it wasn't like a present like because it was in the past so you could be like Mm -hmm. oh it's fine it's when we were fighting the russians it's fine it's okay it was just just the soviets oh yeah sorry the soviets Yeah, like it's it's funny. Every time someone says the Soviets, I think of that scene in The Simpsons where Lenin bursts out of the tomb and goes, "Must crush capitalism." <laughs> I mean, this, us recording this coincided perfectly with the uh, NHL draft and how all the like scouts talk about the Russian players, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. "Are we? Are we?" we didn't change at all. Like, I'm just waiting for one of them to be like, "They get shot if they smile." Like. <laughs> <laughs> I do love how the Russian players are portrayed as extremely stoic and in this which I mean they probably like they yeah. all look yeah. ancient. <laughs> but- which is funny because like I know that that's just again effective propaganda because I'm thinking of our one Russian prospect who will probably never see NHL ice uh not to be not to be a negative Nancy but um Oh God! What R- Rodian Rodian Amirov, who looks seven, literally a baby, like yeah. just a child. No, it's definitely really interesting to think about this, like in the context of like how we present like the other in media, kind of thing, because it's not as an extreme example of like like Rocky Four kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, or like even like any of the like kind of like. Um, oh, what was the one with Patrick Lee? Red Dawn sort of thing. Like how Mm -hmm. we kind of like show like the communists or like the Eastern Bloc and like everything like that. But it's still like, like they look, like you said, so stoic and like they all look, and I think it's also because they want to make it like really emphasize the like college versus like the Russian superstars, but like they all look like 40 years old. Um, And one thing like that would be really interesting is the like, story about like the russian side of this kind of thing because mm-hmm. like i mean the like the red, the red machine is just like a fascinating concept within itself but it's also just like wait a second this beautiful little cheery disney movie is telling me something about these russians mm-hmm. um it's also noteworthy uh from the sports context to like this was the uh, the U.S. men's team. They didn't medal again until 2002, which coincidentally was the next time that they were in Salt Lake. Um, so it, it feels 
it, it feels like the Miracle on Ice was one of the most genuinely awe-inspiring sports moments of the 20th century. But the timing of it also feels just a little bit like, hey, remember when the U.S. team was good? Yeah, especially because it's like, oh, right, we just had like uh, like the winner in um, like Salt Lake City. So like Winter Olympics, because like USA basketball has always been they're like, yeah, we're fine. It's OK. We're good yeah. at basketball. But they're like, hey, you guys remember hockey? Remember, mm-hmm. remember hockey when we were good at it? And like on your point of like the like inspiring sports moment, one thing that is always interesting to me is like the the like contrast to like Canada's we beat the Soviet sports moment, which is like the summit series in the 70s, because it's like it wasn't like the Olympics. It was just kind of like a tournament that we decided to have to deal with the Cold War kind of thing. And <laughs> like this was eight years prior to the Miracle on Ice. And like while it's like very much like part of our heritage, it's not considered our like this is the greatest Canada has ever been and like fuck you Soviets and like everything like that. Like while USA is like, yeah, America on ice, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Like we are the best sports team alive. While Canada's like, yeah, it was really cool that we beat like the Russians back then. But remember Vancouver? Like it's so interesting like how they play off each other almost, which has always been like okay like it's it's so representative i think of the two nations almost people always talk about how canada like in general has this inferiority complex compared to the u.s but um this is a rare example of like the opposite of that we're like oh Um, right summit series (laughs) but but again that's not to take away from the miracle on ice which like for what it's worth Neither of us were alive for. I'm not going to pretend I was there to see it. Like, I'm sure it was great. No, it's yes. fucking, like, that is a true, like, incredible sports story. Like, that is truly mm. just, like, perfect. It's a perfect narrative kind of thing. Like, it it, it yeah. was made to be a movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, as they say in the movie, like, yes, we have our Vancouver 2010, but it was the All-Stars. Like, it was still very special and very important and very meaningful to a lot of people and, like, kicked ass. But, like, Jerome again went past to Sidney Crosby and they scored. Like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, so that's another thing. Like, this was, this movie came out only two Olympics. We'd we'd only seen two Olympics featuring NHL players at this point. And there was that, like, note at the end of the movie in the epilogue about, um, in oh what was it 1998 was when they voted to allow yeah um yeah so um and and one thing also like you know you wrote in the notes like the juxtaposition of like you have the miracle on ice with these like little little college boys many of whom did go on to play in the nhl Mm -hmm. um and then like how fucking stacked the rosters would go on to be also think about even compared to 20 years ago, let alone 40 years ago, how much better NHL players are now. Right? Like, it's yeah. it's so interesting to think about even just, like, the progression of hockey. And the idea that, like, Herb is bringing in this, like, revolutionary idea of combining the Russian and Canadian styles, which I was always like, mm-hmm. Canadian style, yeah, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> the one mention we get we're in like, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's, it is interesting to think about, like, this kind of like pull your bootstraps up story compared mm-hmm. to like Joe Sackick and like Matt Sundin was playing for like I think Matt Sundin got the most points like that Olympics and like mm-hmm. it's and also Canada won that Olympics so <laughs> and then women <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, not not to get all peak show on us, but like I, you know, I've as I've been looking at this in terms of genre, like I mean, sports movies have never gone away. However, I would say this was kind of the peak of sports movies. Not necessarily this movie, but within this decade. Like, of course, you got like the big '80s and '90s, like Rocky, Rudy, Mighty Ducks, Angels in the like the the kid stuff, like Angels in the Outfield and Rookie of the Year. You've got Major League, the slap shot movies, um, and then leading up to this, you had. Um, a movie that I was convinced I'd seen and then I realized, no, I was just confusing that with Miracle because they had very similar posters, but Mystery Alaska. I was have you seen same. Mystery Alaska? No, I haven't. I always thought the same thing too. They have yeah. like the exact same fucking poster. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one was, like Mystery Alaska might've been trying to capitalize off of this. I don't know. Um, and then Canadian movies, Men with Brooms, uh, The Lay Boys. Friend. Have you seen The Lay Boys? No, Any- I haven't. I've seen the first one because it came to my local movie theater because I grew up in a bilingual town and so they carried a lot of French movies. Um, I I like Les Boys. Um, but and then like you have some of the really big ones of like this exact era, Coach Carter, Remember the Titans. If Million Dollar Baby, yes, it's a sports movie, but like team sports are different. And I say this as someone who is an athlete of non-team sports. Yeah. Um, the, but team team sports movies are an entirely different vibe. They're a completely different vibe and they're just completely different. Like, the, the structure of them is completely different because when you have the individual story, you don't have to have the team coming together moments. And, like, every... Mm-hmm. Like, there's... It, they follow different story structures. Yeah. So, like... This, you know, it's not like sports movies stopped being made, obviously, and like there are still sports movies made, but barely. Um, when was the last time you saw a sports movie come to theaters? Like, <laughs> I mean, when was the our last shoulders time just hit the ceiling? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh, even even pre pandemic and pandemic has just like made this into a chasm. Um, you know, it's it's Marvel and nothing else. And because sports movies are expensive. I think people don't do not realize that. And I have a little bit of a note about like things that you can and can't do with budgets further down here. But um like I'm trying to figure out what was the genre killer. Um I actually think I love this movie, but Dodgeball was a bit of one because like parody tends to kill especially things that are not affectionate parodies. Like I love affectionate parody. Like the Brady Bunch 90s movies, that's affectionate parody. Dodgeball is an a non-affectionate parody Mm -hmm. it like it it um it parodies like the self-seriousness and the self-righteousness of sports movies um another one i have to call out and like i haven't thought of this movie in years but radio um oh my god have you seen radio i feel like i have like on tv like late at night one time or something while i was like passed out on the couch like half watching it was one of those we're all called into the gym and like because they don't know what else to do with us. It's the third week of June. Um, that and I know the exact same week we watched that one where Kevin Spacey uh, plays a burn survivor and the kid from oh, uh, Six Sense dies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. We watched that wish in the f- fucking school, and they're like, "This is a great." Wish lesson. the fire had finished the job. Um, but yeah, like you know, that after this, um, not directly after this, but within the next decade, you definitely saw like sports movies take a tumble. One I have to call out is Fever Pitch. It's not. It's about sports fandom more than anything, and it's like back when we were trying to make Jimmy Fallon into a movie star. Um, God, I hope no one that respects me is listening to this. I don't think I've said the f word a lot in this podcast, but I would say. Uh, Fever Pitch is the first is the first movie, and I think I hope only movie uh, in which I got fingered during that oh. movie for the first time. Mm. So, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon yeah. was watching. I saw Fever Pitch at the drive-in. 
Um, oh my god, we didn't have drive-ins where I got. That's awesome. So we had to drive in like forty minutes from like Barry, like Barry areas where I grew up. So we had to drive in mm-hmm. like forty minutes away. And I remember we went to see Fever Pitch was the opener, and then the mm-hmm. second movie, Revenge of the Sith. It mm-hmm. fucking ruled. <laughs> so maybe a part of this though was also that like we stopped like running out of um like we stopped caring about kicking commies asses no i mean literally though like we got to like because think about uh, how much of like specifically 80s media is based mm-hmm. in the fact of like us <laughs> you are so very good and we are so very bad and like um because you have like the Rocky, you have the Red Dawn, like in any nuclear related movie, you have like any sports movie, like who are our enemies most of the time. Like, I mean, Russia, they can't make Canada an enemy. Like, mm. um, mm-hmm. and yeah, like we don't have the same kind of enemy that we can be like, hey, look, we beat them. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of it also is that it started to die out because I was looking and I was like, how many sports movies did Disney specifically make? And they made so many, but like specifically between like 1992 and 2016, they were just pumping those things out. Um, like it started in 92 with Mighty Ducks and then basically went to like, yeah, like I said, like 2016. And um, I mean, in the midst, you have like Seabiscuit. Remember, like you said, remember the Titans, Miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even outside of it, we have like We Are Marshall, The Blind Side, Invictus, like in terms of the more serious ones. But when you look at like all of these kind of like inspirational sports movies that like everyone has to overcome something, Majority of the time, the thing they're overcoming is racism. Like, remember the Titans. We desegregated a school and, oh, my God, the football team has to play together. But it's okay because the quarterback got in a car crash and it brought us all together. And, like, I mean, the blind side got Sandra Bullock, like, her Oscar, but, like, got at what cost? That is a rough rewatch. Um, oh, when I was thinking, you know, I've never seen The Blind oh Side because I think I saw the discourse before I saw oh, the movie. Oh, yeah, it was and so like, I'm like, oh, not worth it. And honestly, like, if we wanted to point at something that probably killed the like kind of inspirational, I mean, they were mm-hmm. giving everyone inspirational sports movies. Like Mark Wahlberg did Invincible, which was right. Fucking rewatched in my house. We loved that movie. And I mean, I haven't rewatched it. it, but I have rewatched the gang gets invincible exactly i mean it's the same thing but like i i honestly like because i'm also i'm thinking like what was the last kind of sports movie that was kind of like big that fits this genre and Mm -hmm. it's probably 42 about jackie robinson which again Mm -hmm. is like okay we're going back we have to find an inspirational person who has to overcome the problems of racism in america i guess but it's okay because we all remember him now and it's fine go sports like Mm -hmm. I think it started to be like, oh shit, like all of these have to do with like nerdy wells on the wrong side of the tracks, but they come mm-hmm. together and win a football game. So like it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right about the blind side be- because like the reason that why I said I never saw it is because everyone, and this was before, like, I think this might've been the first year I was on Twitter. Um, God, that's when it all started. That's when the downfall <laughs> began. But um but like it and it was probably even parodied a lot on SNL, just how it was blatant, blatant like Oscar fishing, how people of color are absolute props in that movie, and yet it was regarded as a quote unquote good movie. And I think like look, not to bring everything back to 9-11, but I think the I, I think mean, the people got from 
<laughs> sorry, we're millennials. We're going to bring everything back to 9-11. Um, the further people got from it, um, and especially like as the recession came on, which was when I started university, um, the like, we're all in this together narrative really fell off because as it turns out, we weren't all in this together. Like some of us were going to, going to food banks mm-hmm. and some of us were not going to food banks and like some of us like people started to realize that hey like when you go to a war people die and like they're not yeah. home and mm, maybe we shouldn't do that well and not i i, <laughs> I hate to say this because it, as the big fan of jack o'callaghan not him himself but the actor who played him um went on to serve in the military and later died by suicide i mean and even, but like um uh, Paulich um on the team like the player mm. um there yeah. was, he recently passed away via suicide like through suicide oh dear there's a really good write-up in the uh, athletic um about kind of his post-miracle life and it, i think mm-hmm. it's also a really great reflection kind of on this like cynicism that comes from like 9-11 because i think you can make a really good connection between uh our athletes and how we treat them like post you won mm-hmm. something for us and when veterans come back like i I think that there is like kind of like a, a connection there of like how how we treat those that we hold up so high, like what happens yeah. when they fall. And it's funny because like my regard toward like the way we treat um, the way we treat veterans has at times had me labeled like a bad leftist because uh, my my outlook is supposed to be oh fuck veterans and whatever. But like I we're sitting here we're talking about propaganda. <laughs> I want people to understand how easily, especially post 9-11, how easily people were pulled in, especially that's why they go after young men who do not have their frontal lobes fully developed for a reason. And like, it's hard for me to look at someone whose life ended tragically like that and say like, fuck that guy for like, fuck the military. I mean, absolutely. Especially when you consider like, specifically post 9-11 where you had every like we were saying every single piece of media tell us that we love the flag we love the usa god bless america we had toby keith telling us that they were going to go overseas and put a boot in their ass it's the american Mm -hmm. way you had like it was literally just i mean this is totally peak millennial but like Mm 9-11 changed fucking everything and both in our media how people like reacted to 9-11 like it's there's a reason that it was a life-altering event for so many people (laughs) i mean two words pat tillman i mean yeah exactly Uh, so um but yeah like you can see it for me like because i worked uh reporting on the marketing industry for so long i find like you can see that wave of optimism to cynicism a lot through marketing if you look at like commercials from these eras it's always really interesting so like we went from like the 90s were super cynical and a little bit you saw like the postmodern stuff coming 90s advertising was really fun um and then 2000s post 9-11 super sincerity and then late aughts 2010s the cynicism comes back covid sent us right breakneck into sincerity and now it's all just gambling ads yeah (laughs) yeah um so i like to talk about how this movie shaped us and um with, with me i would say this is less of a movie that had a profound impact on me so much as it's just a movie that i really really enjoyed but i do 
when I rewatch it, I realize that there are some strong opinions I have and then strong like impressions that this left on me. I have talked previously on this particular show. Um, actually, I'd say like a lot of Tales from the Rec Room because I'm talking about like my childhood and my adolescence. A lot of this is me reckoning with my not like other girls phase. Um, <laughs> I think this might have been the peak of it because this is like my I'm not like other girls. I'm into sports. Yeah. And also I'm on the History Society. Did I mention that? Like, <laughs> um, But it's funny because I did not play any team sports at all and it like you know i really enjoyed the intensity of this movie because it was all about like leaving it all on the ice and stuff so i just added like th- this idea in my head that like i might not actually be a jock but i have a jock mindset you know like because this movie is basically how sports are about your heart and your courage and i was like yeah i could be that you know <laughs> um th- this movie also though it's so incredibly midwestern and there's something about the midwest movies that make me feel really happy and at home i'm not from the midwest obviously i'm from northeastern ontario but if you've been there that is the midwest of canada um like i i'm pretty sure like that's why so much shit gets shot in sudbury and north bay now um because it absolutely passes for the u.s midwest um and uh, Rachel mentioned all the smoking in center stage. and But Liz, you and I were recently talking about arena food oh. uh, and arena restaurants. And I was telling you about the McIntyre Arena or the Mac Arena in um, Schumacher, Ontario. Like that opening scene of the USA hockey management team talking about the team, like they're in a cloud of smoke. It made me want to be in the McIntyre Arena. Smoking is, and I've never smoked a cigarette <laughs> in my life. I have smoked many cigars, but I've never smoked a cigarette. <laughs> Again, I'm not like other girls. I'm giving myself lung cancer a different way. Uh, and like drinking burnt ass coffee, uh, chew- like gently gnawing on the side of a styrofoam cup. Mm. Like that, there is a real sense of middle America in this movie. And like that, you know, I realize like I like movies set in winter and this is one of them. Like this and weird connection to make, but Juno, also yeah. a movie that is largely set in winter in the Midwest. Very and- similar energies extremely and it's midwest energy is incredibly uh is incredibly specific it is it absolutely is and then like you you knew it when you see it and also yeah exactly Mm -hmm. like in north like on northern ontario is the midwest and that's why we all talk like this like it's unfortunate but that's why we're like this Yeah, and now you had uh, had in your notes, but I, I don't want to miss this. But like, besides the Midwestern, the extremely middle class feel of this movie. No, exactly. Like, in it, it does feel very middle class, and like I, I'll go on this more. But it, it felt more relatable to me. Like, even though I wasn't a hockey player, I was, I still felt like it. It's more relatable than other sports stuff, especially as of now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, you know, we talk about, like, the skill gap between the NHL and, uh, you know, then and now and NHL versus amateur then and now. And which is funny because I think we feel the opposite. Like you say in your notes, like, this makes me, like, miss NHL and the Olympics because obviously if no non-hockey fans are listening to this right jared i don't know um but uh like yeah nhl players are not currently playing in uh in the olympics per their contract um this movie gets me jacked up on like yeah it should be about the amateurs like my thing and i was thinking about this on the bus home today i think the reason i miss the nhl and the olympics is because like my hockey memories are like based around the nhl players being at the olympics but also i think mm. i get my amateur kind of like young guys we don't really know about fix from the world juniors and mm-hmm. so i like i get that there and then when i think about the olympics i'm like why isn't Sidney crosby wearing a maple leaf right now <laughs> you want to know something is after the golden goal um 
I got a text from someone that I didn't want to hear from, and I said, like, please don't bother me right now. And they called me a cunt. And um, I'm just going to say this. That person has been a guest on Peak Show. Ah! <laughs> so we're good now. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later, Liz. Um, but um, yeah, so this movie also features real hockey players, which, and I love it, the idea that they could teach hockey players <laughs> to act, but not teach actors to play hockey, which is true. Yeah. But also, frankly, it's true because how hard is it to act like a hockey player? Well, that's the thing, like, because we're not asking them, like, we're not asking them to go out and do, like, their rendition of, like, Shawshank kind of thing. We're asking yeah. these guys to sit around a table drinking beer and be like, he cost me my national championship. Like, that's, it's second, they just filmed them. It's not scripted. It's just reality. <laughs> I'm just going to say, though, I made a promise to a man. <laughs> Because I know of two hockey players that actually can act very well. <laughs> when we get Miracle remade, I do not care that Mitch Marner and John Tavares are Canadian. They're going to be in it. <laughs> and that John Tavares is fucking my age. Like, it's fine. It's fine. John can play one of the like Soviets. They're like, ah, oh, we got to age him up. <laughs> he does. Well, and <laughs> he kind of, there, there's a haircut you can set your watch to, baby. Um, <laughs> he can, he's got the brows but, uh, for it. <laughs> He does. John, call me. I never have lights on in my house. Um, John Tavares, queer legend, never uses overhead lighting. (laughs) Uh, His kids probably have so many eye problems. Um, But um, no, like we we talked a bit in the center stage episode about um, dance doubles and stuff and how like not to, again, old man yells at cloud, but like digital face replacement um, has kind of ruined things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it, because it's one of those, first of all, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you stop to think about whether or not you should. And it does look good, but I feel like at times it makes, um, it turns things into more of a showcase of, look, we did that. Yeah. And you know what? This is not the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference. This is a movie. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think like there's a real art to kind of working around things and like figuring out a creative shot. Like you do just a close up of the skates or you do a a close up of someone from behind or like um, I was reading about um, uh, the first season of Ted Lasso versus the third, because like most people, I hated the third season. (laughs) Glad it's done. Um, But um, with how like they were so challenged with shooting during the first and I think second season because of COVID lockdowns and the guys that the cast were not real, were not trained football players. So they, um, like the way they kind of worked around not having people in the stands and stuff and they would cut to the pub or something Mm -hmm. and like, you know, and just shoot from, shoot Roy from behind. And so you, you know, that's probably not not Mm -hmm. Brett Goldstein running, but it says Kent on the back and we're fine with that. And then they got a lot more ambitious as it went on. And like some of it, if you actually watch it, it looks really, really bad. It It looks like the planes of it look like a video game. It's very Uncanny Valley, which like makes me uncomfortable and takes me out of things. Like if I can, Mm -hmm. if I look at something and I'm like, oh, that is, especially now, like if I'm watching like an older movie and I'm like, okay, you tried to CGI that, it's a little like, but it's fine. I I roll with it. Mm -hmm. This is part of the game kind of thing. But like it's very uncanny valley, and it it it's like you said. Like I think it shows more skill to try and work around it instead of like treating CGI like you, you have a hammer, everything's a nail kind of thing. Like yeah, it's it it turns. I mean, because cinematography, there's a reason there's an ography to it because it's like choreography, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and 
I think, you know, like I was trying to explain it to, I was trying to explain that to my husband. I was trying to explain the digital face replacement thing. And I uh, was talking about like Natalie Portman and Black Swan was one of the first like really successful examples of it. And he goes, oh, they use face replacement of, with her. And I was like, no, someone who was essentially completely untrained in ballet did like all those sweates on point. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what did you, what's, what whipped cream? I don't know. Um, but, that, but yeah, that's so, the thing too. Like we're going to notice it in like a Black Swan or Center Stage or like any dance movie or a hockey yeah. movie because we're like, you don't skate like that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. to the average person. And it also worked out because like the most technical position that would have to mm-hmm. be re- like filmed is goalie and they wear a mask. So you don't have to worry yeah. about Eddie Cahill if he can like play goalie appropriately. They're like, fuck it. And I think like an NHL I totally goalie- forgot about those goalie masks. <gasps> haunting, haunting. Have you been <laughs> to the Hall of Fame and the like section that's just all the old goalie? That's nightmare yep. fuel, first of all. But anyways. <laughs> to me, it's, I no longer even think of Jason. I think of um, the guy coming in uh, into the- um, the temple in Midsummer, wearing uh, Will Poulter's fucking face stretched across That's his what face. You look like when you try and put a face on someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. So I just want to add that this movie is among those that really made me appreciate basing movies off of true stories. And honestly, like word is that pretty. This was extremely accurate uh, in terms of things that, like, you know, they might have uh, punched up some of the dialogue a little bit, but, like, there wasn't much that they deviated from factually. Deviating from the narrative, like, where it counted, like, but there's something almost funny about the fact that in a lot of sports movies, and by funny, like, I don't mean haha funny. I mean, like, I hate that in a lot of sports movies, it comes down to things like one penalty shot or a goal in the last five seconds, like, a fucking shootout. Mm, like, we... No, no, get that out like, of face. Fans hate shootouts. Yeah. Um, in this case, like... Yes, it was a one-goal lead, which is dramatic, but this was taking a one-goal lead with 10 minutes left and holding on to the lead, and it wasn't even the last game of the tournament. Yeah. Like, this wasn't... Like, I think this was uh, technically an elimination game, Yeah, but... The medals... Yeah. Like, how the medal round worked for, like, these Olympics was that it was, like, a round-robin medal tournament. So, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily elimination, but, like, you gotta beat the Russians sort of thing. And, like... Yeah. Another move, another director, another script would have made this like, like they wouldn't have had the like after thing of just like, oh, yes. And we had to beat Finland for the goal. They would have just ended it. You know what I mean? But I think it's perfect because it's like, yeah, they fucking did this and this wasn't even for the gold medal. Yeah, and it's incredible to me that they made it effectively as dramatic. And like that goes to show that you do not have to rely on that device of a goal in the last 10 seconds. Not to mention like as a hockey fan for me, like, you know, the Leafs famously made it out of the first round finally this year. And as it turns out, it didn't matter. Uh, and it was scored in a set with a sudden death overtime goal from my both lover and daddy, John Tavares. Tavares? He says both. He says both. He's switch. <laughs> you know what? My... <laughs> it's too hot. It's getting weird. It's too hot in my apartment. <laughs> You know, my my dad pronounces his last name two two ways. It depends if the person he's talking to is French. Um, so, but um, yeah, like it. That to me is like not an enjoyable stress. Holding on to a lead and counting down the seconds is a very enjoyable stress. That is the most fun I will ever have in a game. Mm-hmm. So I think it's actually far more thrilling that way. And of course, 
you have the Al Michaels. Do you believe in oh. miracles? Like, chill. Yeah, like, and the way that they do it, and uh, this gets me every single time I watch it, is because they got uh, Al Michaels back to do, like, the voiceover for the games and everything. But, but he didn't re-record that one line, they right? They fade it. Yeah. Like, and it's just, and it's so, like, again, you step outside yourself, and, like, maybe you're not a sports person, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, you're doing it <laughs> for, like, I know what you're trying to do here. But, like, the fade into the, like, like one second left, dude and it fades into like the crackly mm. 80s broadcast and you're just like holy fuck this is like <laughs> Scorsese shit like <laughs> it is it, it is I, I it's Scorsese shit in the fact that I want to be coked out of my mind yeah I think it's also so, like that kind of like it is a testament to the way that they present this story because you know that it is going to be hard to hold on to that lead for 10 minutes because mm-hmm. it's Russia and you know that this is stuff like you, you all the stakes are set and you're not like basing mm-hmm. them all off just like well what if they don't score on this goal like you know you know what's up like you're on the same mm-hmm. page as the players yeah all right so Liz I want to talk more, more about your crush on O'Callaghan oh my god he's so cute <laughs> he is Hundo P your type. Oh, I know. Like, and then I was sitting, like, reflecting, and I'm just like, yeah, Jack O'Callaghan, Travis Konechny, Matthew Kachuk, little ratty boys that are, like, mean and edgy, but care so much. Like, I remember, like, the yeah. first time you watched it, and it's like, O'Callaghan's in, babe, like, when he's told that he is going to be able, like, he's not being taken off the team after he gets injured, I'm just like, you're gonna make me play like it's it's, again it's one of those things that you just perfectly like set up this character you know what he's about kind of thing and it just it Mm -hmm. hits perfectly like and i think the actor did a really like again he's a hockey player so it's perfect like he knows he perfectly expresses this he's not overdoing it or anything like that and yeah so this a major takeaway from this movie was like really um giving me the blueprint of what I was going to look for in a hockey player going forward. Yeah. hundo um, And then, like, kind of as... Same with you, this wasn't, like... I have movies that are way more, like, formative in the sense of, like, it shaped me as a human being and has made me mm-hmm. who I am today. This is just, like, something I really enjoyed. It was... Uh, it's about something that I really care about and have come to care about more, and so it has meant more to me as we go. And it also hits on things that I kind of already cared about, like... The Olympics are evil and bad and we shouldn't have them, but I love them so much. They are just so sports, man. Like I it just at the end of the day, it's just like sports and like I in we were talking about the Vancouver 2010. Like I own the entire hockey tournament on DVD and have watched, like rewatched the gold medal game when I'm feeling down kind of thing. And it's that intersection of geopolitics and sports and like yes this movie is disney and so it's not like the most highbrow look at like the but it is still considered by many to be one of the greatest sports movies of all time because it as we keep talking about it's like you know the stakes they throw enough in to be like okay yeah like there's a lot of tension going on in this like going into this game prior like due to outside circumstances outside of hockey like this isn't a hockey like um like rivalry it's Mm-hmm. it's a life or death rivalry to a lot of people kind of thing. And like the unfurling of the banner, like at when they're showing like the arena with the, like get the puck out of Afghanistan and like, it really sets the tone well so that, you know, 
like even if you don't know about like the cold war and what was going on then you're like okay i'm, I'm here i'm in it i know what's mm-hmm. happening i'm good and yeah like it is such a like good intersection of that kind of like geopolitics and sport and how that what sports mean to a society and like what they ins- like what kind of what they inspire for for people and what they mean to people and it's not just a game like even maybe it should just be a game but it's not because that's not how humans work kind of thing and like i think it was a really good in like introduction into that kind of concept which is something that obviously i spend a lot of time thinking about as you can tell (laughs) um and also just like going back to like the the like midwest feel the middle class feel it felt that kind of homey feeling to me but in a hockey sense of like these Mm -hmm. are these kind of like ragtag group of guys they're not the best players out there but like they're doing their best and they're a family i mean found family always gets you even if it is this (laughs) it's beautiful um but also it's that kind of middle class feeling that i think feels like for a lot of people doesn't exist in hockey anymore like I goodness no like I remember like why do you think I like Zach Aston Reese so much because he's from fucking Staten Island yeah like I were like because my whole family well my dad and my grandfather like huge hockey fans my grandfather even more he has like a literal shrine to the Maple Leafs in his basement we're all very concerned but like growing up learning about like Wendell Clark and Doug Gilmore and like the Broad Street Bullies era and like these guys that just like literally like Patrick Marlowe, like, come off a farm to play hockey Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it's the same thing. Like, the Russians are, like, the hockey gods. The NHL All-Stars can't even beat them. But these guys can just come together and beat them. They're the nobodies who just, like, superpowered their way to gold. And I can't think of, like, another kind of story like that specifically within hockey. Like, again, Mm -hmm. you go to Vancouver 2010. Like, yes, it's very, like, meaningful and was a huge moment it was the best in the world and Mm -hmm. they they gave us a best in the world game that will be remembered but it's very different than this and even like i think about my beloved little maple leafs like mitch marner has been skating since he was like however old with like skating trainers with the best nutritionist with this like you don't miracle and like the environment in which hockey players grow up today like doesn't necessarily exist no, not at all. Like, and I was thinking of this, why I have such a, like, I I definitely exaggerate it when I talk about it online, but why I can't stand Connor McDavid. And like, he is the best hockey player of his generation. He is the most talented NHL player. That I can't even like pretend to not believe. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing about him that is inspiring. No. Part of that is his personality, <laughs> which I think like is the personality that coincides with that type of hockey skill. Because Sidney Crosby is that way as well. He is, but he was um, lucky that we were but he's like, oh, you're not. so cute. You're Sid the Kid. And he's like, I'm just from the Sydney- East Coast. Leave me alone. <laughs> Sidney Crosby was drafted when I was in high school, like, I think when I was in late high school. And so that was a huge fucking thing. Like, I I was in love with Sidney Crosby because of mm-hmm. that, because he was, like, the next big thing. Um, or, but Or someone like I... You know, I'll use the, an example of someone who actually has a cup, who is an undeniably amazing player and is the least inspiring person I've ever seen. Nate McKinnon. Nothing. He, there's, I, he is so inherently unlikable and it has nothing to do with the chickpea pasta. <laughs> 
He is just so, like, he is not scrappy like these guys. These guys and their fucking cute little flannel, like... like well, and it even, like, just comes back to, like, like uh, the quote at the end where it's like, now you have dream teams, but, like, there's no room to dream kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is that, like, you... The way that hockey... And, like, all sports, but, like, hockey specifically because it's, it's so white and it's so upper class. But, like, it is so... There's only specific ways you get into the NHL. They all go play for the like Toronto, like junior hockey league kind of thing. They all mm-hmm. go to the same trainers. They all grow up in the same circles. Alex Kerfoot had a, a rink growing up because his parents are richer than God. Like, yeah, but it didn't make him that good for what he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was, uh... <laughs> Hey, he managed to, to go all the way to the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> he wanted to go back to school. Um, but like, you, as much as like I like we talk about like the playoff playoff run <laughs> they won it around but like the playoff run the Leafs had like that is a huge like I'm gonna always remember where I was when John Tavares like scored that goal but like it's not it's not the same and I think it's okay to say no. it's not the same like yeah. I'm not taking anything away from these other accomplishments or these other moments or anything like that but I think it's it's good to acknowledge that like how sports have changed especially when you mm-hmm. think about how sports are these great unifiers that bring people together of all like like thinking about Olympics past of like how people would mm-hmm. watch the Olympics all together at the same time and like mer- like all of these things like as sports become less accessible, you don't have that connection anymore. And mm. I think that's losing a big part of who we are as people. For me, um, I think of like one of my favorite sports moments as a fan. Um, I just said fan in the most Midwestern fan. way. Fan. Fan. Yeah. Um, and that was, and I, I think I mentioned this because for a while, rewatching this game got me through those first really dark stages of the lockdown, um, which was the uh, 2019 Leafs Hurricanes Next Gen game. Um, but for me, a big thing of that game was that I watched it at my office. Uh, and I used to work in a bullpen environment. Um, and uh, it started, I was listening to the game on the radio, uh, on my headphones. And it was like two days before Christmas. So everyone was kind of half gone. I was at the mall and then, dying because yeah. I got notifications on my right. phone. Right, like, yes. You said you were with your mom, right? Yeah, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and like the guy next to me, uh, Josh, Josh, I think you listen to this show. How's it I going? Know. How's it going, buddy? Um, he was like, um, although he's the one who fed me that intel about Marner <laughs> and like, oh, I think he's getting traded. So Josh, how does it feel to be wrong? Um, Real good bros, better insider. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I don't think he got an immediate invite to that. <laughs> um, anyway, um, he was like, he was like, you can go home if you want. Like no one, no one's here. No one's going to notice. And I was like, no, if I go home, then I have to go on the subway at some point and I'm going to lose the game. Um, and then HR comes up to our, our, our controller, our HR lady comes up to me and she doesn't say what you think she's going to, she goes, yeah, I actually have like access to my bell streaming account. Do you want to come in my office and watch the rest of the game? And, like, it was this wonderful moment of sports bringing two people together. That game was also just a silly game. Silly. That that game was, like, a Mighty Ducks kind of game. I'm surprised like, they didn't pull out the you flying could, V. Like, honestly, that no one would have called it in that game. <laughs> that game needed sound effects a little. <laughs> like, um, 
<laughs> but I still like remember, I think it was Joe Bowen's called a whole oh, baby. What a play by Marner. Like how it, it does fill you with this lump in your throat feeling. And that's why like, you know, I really can't stand the sports ball types because it's like, allow yourself like to, to people who still get all condescending about sports, especially if you're going to get that way in response to a grave player injury or something <sighs> like that, as we've seen people do fuck right off. But like in all sincerity, please allow yourself to get caught up in it. Yeah. You won't be a worse leftist. Um, we're all bad leftists, by the way. Um, and, and, you know, first of all, let me enjoy it. Like, don't, I'm don't not, <laughs> believe own. it or yes. Um, but but at the same time, understand that like the high that comes from feeling like you're a part of a collective that I can let like I have such a discoursey brain that it makes it hard sometimes for me to teach dance mm -hmm. because I think about like think about the way that classism is affecting these dancers <laughs> skills. And yet it all goes away when I'm watching sports. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I, that's kind of I think the last thing that like really I this movie always impresses on me is that. I love how I feel watching sports and especially watching mm -hmm. important moments. They don't have like how I was raised in regards to international tournaments is you cheered for Canada and anyone playing the U S or Russia. If the U S and Russia were playing <laughs> each other, then like, Oh God, let, who knows what's going to happen. But like, fuck those guys. Let them fight. Literally. <laughs> and so the fact that like, you I can watch like this crowning like US achievement kind of thing and I'm just mm. like that's fucking amazing like literally even just talking about this movie I have goosebumps the whole time because it's just you get that feeling and I think that this movie like I said every time I watch it it really impresses on me like sports are great sports are so important like there's a reason that sport has always existed within like human civilization is it it does like bring people together it it, mm -hmm. it is a outlet for so many feelings kind of thing like you can like looking at this like they're sending like her brooks letters to like kick their commie ass and he's like it's just a mm -hmm. hockey game but like you can put those feelings of of insecurity and concern and feeling like out of control and you're like okay i don't know if hockey players will deal with this it's fine it's fine it's, it's okay <laughs> and how it feels to come together for these moments like i always think of, like when they show like the this the arena like cheering i always think of like the compilations of like people watching like Sidney Crosby's goal and like mm -hmm. in groups at bars or like having a party at their house or literally like in like like um Dundas Square kind of thing like just the the importance of sports and that it's okay to like feel that sports are important and that they do mm -hmm. have such an important place in society and that it's Sports have a lot of issues and there's just so like it, so many sports like the I mean, we're dealing like we're still waiting for the like 2018, uh, like the report on the 2018 Team Canada, like World Junior situation. And like there's so many examples of sports just being like rotten and everything like that. But I think it's like one of those things I think about, like you strip away all the like the international organizers and like all of the bureaucracy and like at the end of the day it's just like like specifically for hockey it's just like it's 
just people like it's, there's a puck and there's sticks mm-hmm. and you just you play this is going to sound like an absolutely wild comparison (laughs) and it's a comparison that i have never made on the show before because this is not something i talk about a lot but i grew up going to church and i grew up going to church because my mother was a church organist and i never have had any particularly strong religious feelings like i went through my obnoxious atheist phase and stuff and now i'm at this weird like i don't care phase But for some reason, like, because obviously I was forced into choir as a kid. Um, My mom was a choir director and I had a half decent voice. Uh oh. (laughs) Um, And yet for some reason, when I sang um, church songs, everything made sense. Everything felt okay. Everything felt like I didn't need to agree with everything. I didn't need to like, uh, particularly um, at funerals, because we always had to sing at funerals. And we always had to sing at our family members' funerals, which was difficult. I was like, can't I just enjoy this funeral? Can I just like- have a fucking sandwich and chill, please? <laughs> God, I'm, I, you know, I don't miss meat very often, but funeral sandwiches are next level. Um, yeah, <laughs> they do. But yeah, like, um, but for me, like, at least when I could sing during a funeral, like, the, the hymns would bring me a lot of comfort. And I kind of think of, of sports as the same way. My my feelings about the Catholic Church, my feelings about organized religion, my feelings about religious people, my feelings about Bible hip- hypocrisy, um, they have nothing to do with how I feel when I'm singing a hymn, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense no, at all. No, that makes total uh, and, sense. I mean, yeah. I think that's also part of it as well is that we need to be able to kind of disconnect ourselves from those things. And I think it makes total sense. Like I think about watching like my dad and brother watch their huge Georgia Bulldogs fans and like NCAA mm-hmm. is, has a fucking room booked in hell. But there's just <laughs> something like it's just nothing encapsulates just like pure human emotion whatever emotion it is but just like pure like unfiltered emotion like that that feeling of like like you were saying like singing a hymn and and everything is kind of like all the bad is gone kind of thing and you're feeling in that moment and connected and i think it's the same with sports like it's just Mm. pure instinct almost of like you're just so uh. (laughs) um I, I don't know. I think the reason why this came to mind was because as, as I was saying off mic, I just uh, did a run before uh, before this. And I when I finally stopped to do my cool down, a house that I was in front of, they had hymn lyrics on their door. But particularly, it was Be Not Afraid. And Be Not Afraid is something that you typically sing at funerals. I don't know. Liz, are you Catholic? No. Uh, my parents tried to take us to church like one time and they were like, mm-hmm. So Be Not, yeah, Be Not Afraid. It's it's actually a very lovely hymn, but it it's it's a song that is basically about guiding someone into death. Mm. Like, so I'm like, that's weird. But but Be Not Afraid is one of those songs that really, really moves me. Um, so, uh, so now, a really important question to ask with all these episodes is what is the modern equivalent? And like I said, we don't, we're not seeing a lot of fucking sports movies anymore. And this was, this was kind of the first time I realized it as I was making these notes. So... I want to talk about sports media and what it looks like now. And you do see a lot of serialized television like Ted Lasso, Field of Dreams, which, you know, was a movie that was made into um, a TV series, Yellow Jackets, which I haven't actually seen, but I, you and Helen have. I feel like I've basically watched it from all the Yellow Jackets discourse that you and Helen have done on Real Good Friends. Yeah, exactly. It's like how I would watch like a BBC Sherlock via Tumblr. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so I think it... 
Um, I think the reason why these things tend to play more as TV series these days is because people care more about developing the characters and the relationships. And um, But I do find it a bit frustrating, this incessant need for sports series or movies to be about, quote unquote, more than just sports. Uh, like, um, again, the recent season of Ted Lasso, like, some a lot of critics were criticizing it for the fact that there is no fucking soccer in that season. And people defended it, which, first of all, if you are logging on to the internet to defend the third season of Ted Lasso, okay, like, you should not care about... Okay. <laughs> uh, you should, like, I uh, I just rewatched the first season. The first season is so magical. It, um, I uh, watched the first season and I was like, you know what? I'm seeing what everyone's saying. I'm just gonna enjoy that first season I had. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I liked the second season as well. It's a bit more divisive, um, but it's really heavy. Um, but the third season is garbage. A- absolute plate of garbage. Um, but like people who were defending it, they're like, um, this show's clearly not just about soccer. And I wanted to scream because it's like, but it it is about soccer. Just because something's not quote unquote just about soccer, like I still want to see some fucking soccer. Mm-hmm. Like you said, sports are magical. And like, you know, the the epic highs and lows of Richmond FC, um, the, um, like the feeling of when they tie the game and then five seconds later, they lose it. What's that like? Um, <laughs> I don't know. We should ask Boston. No, we um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's been enough making fun of Boston no, there this year, hasn't. actually. there hasn't. There's been too much focus on us because we've been fucking around following our loss. Mm-hmm. But we need to focus the attention back to the idiots in the league, like yeah. Boston specifically. But yeah, like there, when I look at sports movies, not only are there not a lot of sports movies, but there also aren't a lot of sports movies that are frankly, that frankly have the balls, or sorry, let me rephrase that, that have the nuts. I really like referring to balls as nuts mm. these days. <laughs> um, that that have the nuts to actually make it about the sport. No, exactly. Like I, like I said, I was thinking about movies that are sports in any kind of capacity and like i mentioned earlier like 42 about jackie robinson which was very much sports but like there's a very obvious story that's happening there and also i was like oh wait fucking moneyball but moneyball isn't putting aaron sorkin in the same category as miracle does feel very strange and weird and doesn't feel correct necessarily but i mean i think moneyball is the last kind of like big not blockbuster that's not the right word but like film i suppose that was like sports and there was a decent amount on chris pratt pre everything baseball player but like at the same time it wasn't a sports movie because it was like a math movie and it was about brad pitt's character and everything like like you said there's not that sports yeah it, it was Raymond Holt watching it saying the statistical analysis in this movie is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Also, I know of a certain boy from Sault Ste. Marie who did and said the exact same thing. Um, uh, but like in terms of based on a true story movies about sports, like the last one I can think of is I, Tonya, which like... <laughs> you want to feel it a is good the most- movie! <laughs> You know what? I feel good when I'm watching any movie with Allison Jenny. Oh, um, she's so good in that. She's my mom. She's incredible. Like, also, the, yeah. the chain needle drop in Itania was just like, oh, it's good shit. Anyways. <laughs> oh, 
But yeah, like sports, you know, I, I think the reason why like we don't have inspiring based on a tree, like if I Tanya inspires you, I'm calling the cops on you. Now that's not your friends don't call friends don't call cops. Um, but um, but if if I Tanya inspires you, it's like to do what to take someone's fucking knee, kneecap out. Like, um, and I think the reason why we don't have inspiring based on a true story story sports movies anymore, um, is because we don't have sp- stories to be inspired by anymore. Like sports, like you said, they've been revealed to be like. It, First of all, they're incredibly inaccessible. We we know there are so many inequities in sports. Sports are filled with abusers and philanderers and just plain bad dudes. We see people like working themselves to the bone, like things that are, I don't want to say glamorized in this movie, but like the way I put, like when you see the guys doing the bag skates, like, you know, I, I think this isn't even the first comparison I made of this on the show. I think I use this weirdly during the Chrono Trigger episode, but it's Stanley Kubrick torturing Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Like, that probably shouldn't have happened, but we oh, did get a great performance. The art we got from it. <laughs> <laughs> the gold medal the USA got from it. I mean, the same thing yeah. with, like, you, you've got a bruise on your leg and, like, calling him a candy ass. And he's like, you want me to play mm-hmm. on, a, like, no leg? And it's like, should you do that? Probably well, not, and- but... Probably not. But also, like, I think there are people like Herb Brooks was still generally regarded to be a very good and affectionate coach and stuff. And so, like, when I hear of coaches who were incredibly manipulative and horrible people, speaking of the golden goal, um, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) who are we talking about? Um, It's okay. We have to speak his name later anyway. But um, but the the way I put it is Mike Babcock and the Mike Babcocks of the world think they are Herb Brooks. Her yes. Brooks. They think that. Um, because her Brooks very clearly loved his boys yeah. as well. And he and he got results. Yeah. Like, it, well, I mean, Meg Babcock got a gold medal. So I that's the thing though. I think that uh it's very much a like it it was like not to use this excuse, but like of its time kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. they don't know as much about injuries and stuff like that. And how you get results is you're a hard ass. Like that's why he specifically says, if you want a friend, here's Doc and here's the co- like assistant coach. Talk to them. Do mm-hmm. not talk to me. Yeah. Uh, but he is still like very highly regarded. There aren't bad stories about her Brooks that have come out. There aren't players that are like, hey, actually that fucking traumatized the shit out of me. And like, yeah. there is that, I think there's a difference between being a hard ass and being like a like emotionally abusive boss. <laughs> like, Yeah. You know, the way, again, if, if you're listening to this, which he's not, I don't think my dad knows what a podcast <laughs> is, but like my dad, my dad was a hard ass and he was not a very emotionally expressive father, but he was also in a quiet way, the most loving man. I don't know why I'm talking about him like he's dead. He is in a quiet way, the most <laughs> loving man. Why does why does my dad sound southwestern? <laughs> my dad my dad ha, like has a fringlish accent and a stutter. I like, can't do that. I think that's getting into cancelable territory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. You know what? Someday Liz will will hang out in the burbs with my folks. They'll adopt you Perfect. as their daughter, and you and Mark can just I chill. I feel like you'd get along great <laughs> with my dad. But no, like he is he is the most loving person in the world, but he is also not sunshine and rainbows. And I think there's a lot of 
people for whom like it takes a lot of emotional maturity to understand the difference between someone who is not sunshine and rainbows and is a person who takes it too mm-hmm. far, you know? Um, so all that said, I think like something that has the beats of a sports movie in the modern era and Taylor J. Williams did a great video on this it, that included like the breakdown of how this has the beats of a sports movie but um, and sprinkling in some light Soviet stuff. I'm going to su- suggest The Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. It's like it's basically a movie. It's a six episode miniseries. Yeah, it's a movie in this day and age. It's fine. <laughs> yes. And like uh, Liz, do you play chess? I do not, but I love hearing about your adventures in chess. <laughs> God, it must sound like I'm talking fucking Latin sometimes when sometimes. I talk about chess. It's okay. I took Latin in high school. It's fine. <laughs> it's uh, But um there are like again, kind of like imagine shooting holding on to uh, a one goal lead and you know like helping people understand why that's thrilling, helping people understand why chess is thrilling and shooting chess in a way that makes it thrilling. The um, the montage at the state championship to classical gas, when, as they point out, like we're playing with plastic pieces on cardboard boards um, in, in a college. And um, which, and I will also say though, that like there is a bit of kind of like light anti-Soviet stuff, but a lot of it is actually also very... Um, I think like, and this might just be the 2020 of it all, kind of praising them. Like the way Benny says, like, you know why the Soviets are so good? Because they play as a team. Like us Americans, we're all such individualists. And um, which which is also why Brooks, like, you know, he says like, we play as a team, Mm -hmm. you know, that like he does get that from the Soviets. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also at the end, like Vasily Borgov, the, the rival, like, he embraces her at the end. He is not, the, like, he is very stern and serious, but at the end, he's the one who leads the applause for her. So it's not super anti-Soviet stuff, but it is set during an era of Soviet panic. It's not like Stranger Things that was like, this is the 80s, so the fucking Soviets gotta be whatever, I don't know. Oh, God. I, we don't make anti-Soviet propaganda like we used to, but perhaps we're back in a renaissance of it, considering everything as i just at the very least <laughs> at the very least could they bring back the extremely square-headed actors i uh, give me like oh, give me drago back give me my sweet sweet boy um i was gonna say something that i think modern equivalent a lot of things are sh- like you while you were talking about queen's gambit it made me think of it a lot of things are shot like sports movies that aren't yeah. sports movies and also like your conversation with rachel like on the center stage episode like a dance movie that is a sports movie mm-hmm. there's a lot of the the like narrative beats of sports movies are so easily put into any kind of like drama or like anything like even i would say like the intensity that i felt in uncut gems uncut gems yeah. <laughs> is sports like and I mean, yeah. it does have that like plot piece that it is like betting, yeah. it is gambling on like a sports game. But like y- the way that you create these narratives is definitely like taking from this boom of sports movies that had the formula that's just like, all right, how do we do this? All right, you got a ragtag group. They have issues. We get them together. They overcome. Like they, it's, mm-hmm. I think that is something that maybe we don't have the modern equivalent of this kind of sports movie, but we have those, like the modern equivalent of those narrative beats. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because like we're making sports media less and less about the sports, but we're making non-sports things more. And like, if anything, I think the thesis of what you're trying to say is like, hey, dear sports ball people, you probably actually would really like sports because if you like uncut gems, if you like the Queen's Gambit, if you like all that, you understand the thrill of it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so bam, 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 we're at the lightning round. Yay! So, uh, like, <laughs> I, I almost want to call this the shootout, but then we don't. We hate the shootout. We do so. hate the shootout. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's a five on three. It's very stressful. There's a lot going on. It's fine. <laughs> so, Liz, what is a part of this movie that made you laugh that shouldn't have? Okay, it, it's the end montage to Dream On when they're like, is a life coach, motivational speaker, a financial advisor. Like, it's it just always makes me laugh to think about, like, where the athletes that were like in their peak in the 80s it's just like what are we gonna do post hockey i know i'm gonna get a go to get a degree at bu and tell people about when i won a gold medal but what's interesting though is that almost all of those guys actually did go on to play in the nhl which is why it's even funnier that they're just like like, you just talked about where they ended up at the end of it like dude even ty domi's fucking shilling for goddamn like home insurance companies (laughs) or whatever and it is like the cut of just like oh my god they just won the gold this is incredible oh my god dream on as it's just like do you want life insurance (laughs) yeah uh jason spezza baby model (laughs) uh no for me it it is right at the end as well when he talks about bringing together these guys from different backgrounds i'm like minnesota and boston that's it yeah like diverse (laughs) a bunch of college-age white guys you've got 75 percent midwesterners and 25 percent northeasterners yeah yeah (laughs) different backgrounds because i know like I do understand, like, college rivalries, especially back in those days, were intense, but yeah. I'm just like, it gave me a, like, okay. I'm sure that was an actual quote, but I'm just like, we didn't have to include that. We did. Come no, on. we could have cut that. We could have cut that. <laughs> because, like, also, like, the whole, like, the guys putting aside their differences, that was actually, when you think about it, a pretty small part of the movie. Yeah, like, like, it was happened- kind of the beginning of getting the band together, and that's it. Exactly. This is great getting the band together movie as well, I've got to say. Oh, yeah. Love a get the band together movie. My favorite montage of getting the band back together, D2 the Mighty Ducks. Because there's rollerblades. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I'm bisexual. There needs to be rollerblades. Like, okay. So, are there any parts of this movie that made you cry on ironic tears? Okay, so I cry at everything. Um, so I I basically cry almost every time I watch this movie. But mm-hmm. like the last like probably like five minutes of like the game where like they tie it or no they get the goal to go ahead and they all come off the bench and they're like everything like that to like the final buzzer I'm always like oh my mm-hmm. and especially like the Al Michaels always sends me over the top because like yeah. I love a perfect sport like the commentator just hit it out of the park kind of thing mm-hmm. um and like um what was Gord Miller's like when Eberly scored um Oh my god, it's like ingrained in my brain, but I can't remember it right now. Uh, he was just like, "Can you believe it?" kind of thing, mm-hmm. or just like the Sidney Crosby golden goal. Like that yep. always gets me. But the, the specifically when Herb goes into the hall and like the team like, on takes the ice, a moment, yeah. he's just like yes, and like goes back out. Like that yep. always gets me because it's just that's mm-hmm. what Kurt Russell brings to this film. Yeah, um, so I, my answer is the exact same. The Do You Believe in Miracles sends me over over the edge. Um, that, it, yeah, um, because it makes me think of also like how important sportscasters are. And um, for the longest time when I didn't have um, 
<laughs> when I didn't have my like gray market sort of legal IPTV <laughs> and I was having to like, I, I can't stand streams on like, I think they're shitty quality and they just, they take me out of it. Um, and so I was listening to a lot of hockey games by radio and I, thus, I got to listen to Joe Bowen's calls. I, I was the same. And, I grew up because yeah. I would do my homework at the kitchen table. And so my <laughs> parents would be watching TV in the living room and I would have AM 640 on listening at Home of the Leafs, listening to Joe mm-hmm. Bowen and Jim Ralph call the games. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's the, and it's the Foster Hewitt of it. It's, it's the, like, it's, it's the, um, Bob Cole, like those just mm. legendary calls that it, it just emphasizes, like, it's yeah. a human stuff again because it's like what's coming out in this moment sort of thing. Yeah. That said, it did make me think make me think of John Tavares' overtime goal that won the Leafs the series. Hey, remember when we won a series? Uh and Bowen <laughs> accidentally said Morgan Riley. Oh, Bowen. Oh. He's he's you know what? He's not young. He's um, definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, like what Russell brings to the role, and when you see him go and kind of like have his little moment and collect himself, it's like that like we have to remember that sports stories are human stories. Yeah. And like Herb Brooks is was not at this point an ivory tower man. Like, you know, he was like he was just a guy. Yeah. He was a guy like, that coached college hockey. He was yeah. the last cut from the nineteen sixty. Sixty yeah. Sixty. I thought it was sixty eight. Um Olympics he's a trivia answer and like he he truly just like kind of got this job and was like okay Mm -hmm. okay let's fucking go okay All right, so uh, folks, you're listening to two queer women talking here, uh, two uh, hot bisexuals, and you know what, uh, Liz, you wouldn't know this because I, t- I put this on my blue sky. Um, yeah, let uh, me today, in <laughs> today. I, speaking of things I want to be let into, I was at the ATM today, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was I, I go to TD, and uh, don't triangulate, um, but. They're still, it's July 6th. They're still p- had a little pride screen. The, the TD on Rito still has their big pride we, rainbow out front. We did it, you we guys. <laughs> <laughs> Corporate pride continues for another six days. And it plays like a little kind of funky R&B jingle now. Oh my God, of it yeah, so like we won. Um, so with that in mind, as a bi girl, what is the most iconic look in this movie? Jim Craig, after Herb says, I think I'm going to pull you and put like mm-hmm. Janny in, he's got the goalie short, like the goalie pants. He's got the suspenders over the like button up, like Harley or whatever it's called shirt. And he's got his toque on. Mm-hmm. And I just, you wear that with, instead of goalie <laughs> shorts or goalie like pants, you wear them with like jean shorts with like suspenders and like the like shirt underneath and like a toque. You're golden. Yeah. Um, so there's two. One is like most of the guys at the Christmas party are wearing flannels. One of them, and I actually can't tell who it is because the stills on IMDb are really bad, but um, he's wearing like kind of a blue striped shirt that almost looks like uh, Ernie's shirt from Sesame yes. Street. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can't tell which guy it is. but um, And then also there's a scene where uh, Brooks and I think it's Noah Emmerich are walking, uh, walking down the sidewalk. And there's no better way to put this. Herb Brooks is dressed like the Ikea monkey. And um, yes! <laughs> yes! And that's the look. That's- if a girl were wearing a coat like that, especially like with like, not to be overly horny on main here, but like m- clearly underdressed underneath, like mm-hmm. that girl should be wearing a sweater under there or whatever. <laughs> um, and like some nails, I'd be like, Boy. I want to <laughs> smoke a cigarette with you. 
and then go book an Airbnb somewhere. Yeah. And again, I can't emphasize this. I do not and have not smoked cigarettes. <laughs> but there are girls that make me want to. Exactly. And, and they should be dressed like Herb Brooks slash the Ikea monkey. <laughs> okay, what is a moment in this movie that reminds you of recent or modern NHL discourse? <laughs> um, when, uh, during the bag skate, which apparently mm-hmm. they started calling either Herbie's or like Brooksies, like bag mm-hmm. skates, they start like amongst USA hockey started calling bag skates after her Brooks because of that, which I that's iconic. That's incredible. That what <laughs> that's a mm-hmm. fucking legacy. Um, but specifically, the name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the name on the back. Just <laughs> echoes in my brain every single time I hear Leafs contract discourse. Yes. And I'm just like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> Okay, so the O'Callaghan and are you gonna make me play? Like, um, I am a hockey player. (laughs) So, like, we just had the playoffs, and the big thing with the playoffs is everyone plays injured. Everyone comes out after like so and so is playing on a fucking like literal broken foot, literal broken foot. (laughs) And so I'm thinking of one of our players that was clearly. I don't even know if he confirmed that he was playing injured prior, but was did they ever confirm that Samsonov was already injured before they kind of replaced no, him with Wall? they were just like, oh no, he has an injury. Because hadn't he gotten hurt in like the second last regular season game? Yeah. And then he, he does like one because he, he said in the press, like, Sammy doesn't break. But then Sammy. Sammy very clearly was not himself during that. Like, Sammy was probably one of our worst players in the... But so I'm thinking of the notoriously good-natured and friendly and kind of bubbly Ilya Samsonov going, are you going to make me play? Are you going to make me play? <laughs> I am a hockey player. Have some smile. Oh, I hope he comes back. Um yeah. Okay. So, besides Kurt Russell, who do you think is the best casting choice in this movie? Uh, so, I mean, we've talked about O'Callaghan, and I, I think perfectly cast because he mm-hmm. had to be a hockey player. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but Noah Noah Emmerich is so believable as just That's like <laughs> just like the like happy-go-lucky assistant coach who's like, "Oh mm-hmm. shucks, Herb, thanks for the job. Oh, the boys are really upset. You're really mean to them. Like, it's yeah. just so believable and just he." It's a really kind of like understated, like there's not a lot going on kind of thing. Like this no. isn't like, like I don't, I don't even know, like a whatever. But like, I, it just it works. It's perfect. It does. He, I also genuinely believe that he's from the Midwest. Um, I also like he actually really looks like the like the person that he is cast as. They did um, good. I mean, again, because they didn't go for like actors, they went for they're just like yeah. you, hockey player that looks like this guy. Like they're like showing the like like in the end when they're like showing the real people and like shit, good mm. job you guys. <laughs> I know. Um I I always just I keep every time I see his face I'm like what's the big thing I know him from? And then I remember Truman Show. Yeah, no, exactly that's yeah. it's, that's exactly what it is. And like, he's one of those like thing every time. I'm like why do Yeah. But it, yeah. And it's I I think also I think why I like this is because this reminds me of Truman Show because he is that like buddy that's supposed to be like supportive and everything. But like Truman Show mm-hmm. obviously is Truman Show. So there's like a whole other thing. But he's just he's good at being a buddy. He is. And I can't, I think it's like um, he is a distinctly, distinctly less famous version of like a John C. Riley, a guy yes. who is not there to be good looking. No, he's he is not there to steal act, the scene. Damn it. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so he is part of what makes, like I said, he makes it feel incredibly Midwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have the list in front of me. Um, what is your favorite Brooksism? And as a bonus, how would you use it in reference to something in the 22-23 NHL season? Okay. I'm making sure that the one I chose is actually a Brooksism and not just me being like, this is my favorite fucking quote, this movie. Um I was really upset when I looked down there to see uh, a rape joke. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was like, oh, hockey. But that's like one of those like dad rape jokes of they really think they're just being funny. Yeah, they're just like, no, it's just bad sex. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. why? Let's expand on that. That Like that's, I, yeah. okay. Yeah, so um, mine is um, um, this team isn't talented enough to win on talent alone. Because I find that so fucking cutting and just like, like, that's such a good just fucking like, you aren't good enough to do this. So fucking skate. And it's like, okay, sir. (laughs) I can tell you what that what that quote reminds me of in the 20 in the recent NHL of specifically postseason. I mean, again, (laughs) you know what team wasn't talented enough to win on their own, but it's not that they won with heart. They won with being dirty fuckers was the Florida Panthers. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. also, again, Toronto Maple Leafs, that feels just like the constant screaming that comes from everyone after. I think the Leafs are the opposite, though. I think they are too too talented to have the results that they have. They're the NHL All-Star team facing off against the Russian (laughs) national team, and they just can't get it together, you guys. Yeah. Um, so mine, this isn't necessarily a hockey moment, but um, I'll say this. I want to try to read this in his voice, but it won't be clear. So I'll, spoiler alert, picture this in Ron McLean's voice. You know, Willy Wonka said it best. Oh we God. are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams because it's like, what the fuck? Like, I don't think this was actually in the movie. I'm pretty I sure. I wish like, it was. I wish I would uh, like, Russell have to be like, you know. <laughs> Because this is one of those things where it's like clearly this person is trying to rile people up and he's not actually thinking about what he's saying. But listeners, if you are not regular watchers of Hockey Night in Canada, Ron McLean is like this all the time. And he's increasingly like this. He's gotten worse. Oh Losing Don God. Cherry is one of the worst things that happened to Ron McLean because it made us all hyper aware of his bullshit. When yeah. he didn't have like fucking grandpa xenophobia beside him he he's like the wind just like Gordon Lightfoot said which is relatable to the sticks in the ground which become hockey st- like Ron Aww. what the fuck man I'm waiting for him to say the word cromulent like <sighs> and, and what but what is best is um a lot of people and I think including um my friend Brad who has a locked Twitter account so I won't say go follow him but he does really good like parody Ron McLean posts <laughs> um it, like he's gotten so easy to make fun of but like that is one of them that I look at that I'm like is that fucking the ghost of Ron McLean <laughs> like I know he's not dead sometimes I wish <laughs> okay so this is where I had so much fun in my notes let's say they make a movie about Vancouver 2010 and the Golden Goal. Who plays Sid? Oh, okay. I've been thinking about this like all day and it drives me nuts because I have the worst actor mind kind of. I'm mm-hmm. great when I'm watching and I'm like, oh, he was in this episode of SVU when he did this, 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 and this. But I cannot picture actors in my head. So I was going through and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like if I can choose like any time, like not a current like kind of thing, like any mm-hmm. era of someone, I'm thinking like, and I know this is just because, like, they're Canadian, so I'm like, oh, yeah, this will work. Something about Michael J. Fox, 
makes me believe that he could be Sid. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, and I'm probably wrong. A uh, very square jaw. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, God bless Sid's jaw surgeon. He mm. did such good work uh, after Sid broke his jaw. But yeah, like a, like a kind of like younger Michael J. Fox or like... Uh, who did you have? Okay, so I'm going to send you in the chat. Okay. This is, so this guy is a dancer, and actually he was on the second season of So You Think You Can Dance, James Toliva. Um, look at James, him. James, right? Oh my God. He's like a, he's like a Latino Sid. Wow. Yeah, he's got the jawline. Now that said, he is actually a year older than Sid. I went for someone who is like, you know, in the, like, and Sid wasn't a baby. He was like no. 23, I think. Yeah. Like- um. So I went with a current actor who would have to dye his hair because he has he is a ginger, but uh, KJ Apka, who oh. plays um, Archie on Riverdale. He could do um, the Ernest Sid, so yes. he'd be like, okay. Oh, he yeah, has that it. very, like, squareness to his face as well. Mm-hmm. So now here's here's uh, he who must not be named. Who plays Babcock? Oh, okay. Like, here's the thing. I think of Mac Babcock and I immediately think of Sam the Eagle and then I can't get away <laughs> from Sam the Eagle. But I'm picturing like uh, like um, Field of Dreams Kevin Costner, which is being very kind to Mike Babcock. Very, very kind, but just like, or even like a little older, that kind of like, because I feel like he had, because Babcock's whole thing is that he's like a rugged Saskatchewan guy who like played hockey and just like, you know, like just, you know, we're just a coach. And there's just some. He seems like he wears a lot of jeans. Exactly. And like not Midwest, but prairies and that same kind of energy. And there's just something about Kevin Costner that just like, I feel it. I feel Mm -hmm. like he could do it. And I feel like, he can do a good squint. You know what I mean? Like the Babcock squint, like on the bench. Yeah. And he could make something up that made it seem like Mike Babcock said something super inspirational and in the like on the lot on the bench or like in the locker room. Like he can bring that qu- like kind of quiet intensity, but also like Kevin Costner's kind of it's like fuck fucking Kevin Costner. Like you're oh, this is a rules. Like he has that like kind of like yeah. I'm over you energy. Man, it's a really good thing that I'm not asking who would play Sheldon Keefe because I would be like, I don't know, that dancing pumpkin head gif. Um, <laughs> I, I I love Sheldon Keefe, but I think he looks like a jack-o'-lantern. Um, so um, because in movies we tend to pretty people up, um, if we're going to pretty him up, I would say Josh Hamilton, who is actually one of my favorite like dad actors. Yeah. I would do everything to Josh Hamilton. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Josh Hamilton is a little like cardigany for mm. uh, for Babcock, but it's more like I think of him in eighth grade when he's like a little bit disheveled, mm-hmm. a little bit like not quite shit together. Yeah. Um, and how like Babcock always had this weirdness about him of like his suits not quite fitting properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah. So uh, but if you're gonna ugly him up, um, I, and again I'm gonna drop this in the chat because this is not an actor that everyone knows. He was in the way way back, friends from college. He's more of a writer, but not uh, not Faxon. Um, he, he won an Oscar as a writer for, um, The Descendants. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Something. Also, I've absolutely seen Yeah, probably, uh, Friends from College and The Way Way Back are probably the two, mm-hmm. like, things he's best known for. But he, he is more of a writer. He's a writing partner, Jim Rash. Um, and he mm-hmm. has the oh, ultimate okay. just a guy face. It's funny because I got really excited because I yes. thought when I was looking at his bio that he was in one of my favorite, very sad movies, uh, Manchester by the Sea. 
Uh, as it turns out, he's from Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Oh, well, um, <laughs> for, forgot that that was a real place. Okay. This was like me when I was looking up Seabiscuit earlier, spent 30 minutes like, oh, yeah, Secretariat. Oh, my God. I can't believe Margaret Martindale was in the actual Secretariat. And then like, eh, she's in the show. No, I thought Secretariat and Seabiscuit were the same yeah. thing. So thank you, Will Arnett. There were so many, did you know that I didn't realize that Scranton, Pennsylvania was a real place until The Office premiered? Because I thought it was just something that Harry Chapin made up for the song 30,000 Pounds of Bananas. You have told me this, I think, on a Peak Show episode. I grew up listening to a lot of Harry Chapin. What can I say? <laughs> this is like the Mark Mantha show, this this episode. Oh, shit. Now everyone knows my dad's last name. Uh, oh, no. Um, and uh, for those wondering if I am related to Anthony Mantha, the question, the answer is, I think. Um, no, my dad says apparently there is a relation there. But um, Northern Ontario. Uh, Quebec. But yeah. Um, yeah, my, my dad's from the Canada. border. Border towns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so here's my favorite question because I'm really excited for you to hear my answer. Who plays Steve Eiserman? Okay, so this isn't necessarily like a this, this isn't a miracle casting kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. this is a this is an in spirit casting. Uh, Kyle Chandler, oh. um, notably from uh, Friday Night Lights, yeah. um, also um, my beloved Game Night. Uh, he's incredible in that. Um, but he. <sighs> is so beautiful to me and so is stevie Y. but also he's got the sports shit down mm-hmm. and specifically the idea like stevie Y, kind of like gm of this team playing in canada there's so much kind of riding on him he's got his history with hockey he's bringing that there's probably a great scene of him and his wife arguing mm-hmm. stevie Y is now married to connie Britton just for me um like i uh, just I need it. I want it. I want Kyle Chandler and Steve's little glasses. Oh. Okay, so the one thing about Steve is I find he's he's not a particularly hot man, but he's a very distinguished man. Mm-hmm. And so I went for an actor that I think is really having moments. I think Glenn Howerton. Oh my god. <laughs> Here's the thing. I could also put Glenn Howerton as Mike Babcock and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. You could do that. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Do- you- I am from Marshall! Manipulating Glenn Howerton. I still haven't seen Blackberry, but now that Neither I've seen that I. I am from Waterloo clip, which, like, I did live in Waterloo, and so, like, I, you know, that Is makes that where me... the vampires live? Yes. <laughs> All right, so um, I, I am changing uh, question number 10 because we've talked a lot about how this has shaped our hockey opinions. But if you could do a Miracle-style movie about any recent sports moment, what would I it be? you this. I was going to be like, brief, and I ask a fun little lightning round? So, wow, good job <laughs> reading my mind. Yay! Um, ooh, interesting. Um, and it doesn't have to be hockey. It can be any sport. Yeah. I think... Hmm... What's yours? Give me, give me a minute with this one. Yeah, and uh, when I say I was there, I don't mean I was actually in the stands. I mean, I was getting off a train at Union Station, listening to it on the radio, and as it was called, everything erupted, and I had the best night of my life. The Raptors winning mm. the NBA World Championship in 2019. Um, that was the last time I did Mushrooms. Um, what a time. Mushrooms sure that I got off the streets. Hey, I don't want to talk about the things that I will do off the street when the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. That is, that's between me and my God. Um, <laughs> Be not afraid. <laughs> I'm trying to, um, 
we could just be cheap and say the golden goal. That was an amazing moment. Is even just like a not specifically like miracles in like we're on the ice with them kind of thing, but the like you know those it's kind of like the idea of like like a love actually where it has like the stories they follow Mm -hmm. like a love actually valentine's day that kind of vibe movie of like the golden goal and you can have like glenn howerton as stevie Mm Y, and like you can have like the like the operational staff kind of perspective of it like someone in the stands someone like because it, it yeah when i think of like sports moments like that is just that's my peak. I don't, I think if anything were to beat it, it would be um, the Leafs. Actually, a hockey, but I think it would work because it's like World Juniors. And Jordan Eberle's goal mm-hmm. with like 0.5 seconds left. Because mm-hmm. that is just like, and it, it and it was the, the perfect scene, like the World Juniors were in Canada that year. It was like, against the russians mm-hmm. so we're going back to that like it's very like you can have the like oh we're supposed to go to the nhl next year oh my god mm-hmm. you can have taylor hall not able to read like i think in terms of like sports moments that like i can remember watching and i like have emotions about mm-hmm. that's up there like it's probably like vancouver uh 2010 um uh it's funny because sochi i was just like yeah we're winning this baby like i was so sochi was when i stopped being able to stay up that late on i can't lie i remember it was in the morning because my friends and i went to get breakfast and they were like we're letting you drink early it's Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) um but it was such and it was such a like runaway game like the gold medal game but um yeah probably vancouver um toronto um getting out of the first round <laughs> god i wish and we'd then, had a better ending to that i know and then the world juniors five seconds left mm-hmm. destiny panics so all right so to conclude our thoughts on miracle um which i will note uh, f- that listeners are probably getting a real kick out of the fact that we pronounce the word miracle very differently um we do yeah <laughs> i do it like a really miracle like i'm talking about miracle. a meerkat yeah, um, I feel bad because I'm. I know I'm the wrong one. Um, so we need to determine a couple things. So let's say you're playing this for the first time in 2023, or you're sharing it with someone um, who hasn't seen it because they're a fucking snob. Um, what aspects of this um, do you think have aged well and haven't? And not even just like socially, but like in terms of filmmaking and stuff. I feel like we kind of touched on this before, Mm -hmm. but like having um, like hockey players play, like do like be the actors kind of hiring Mm -hmm. hockey players definitely worked out and has helped it uh, age really well and look really good still. But another thing, and I'm fully stealing this conversation from um, the Ringers Rewatchables podcast, but the fact that the hockey that they were replicating was from grainy 80s footage, like Mm -hmm. 80s broadcast. And like obviously like you can't make that work for everything but the fact that the the footage that we were recreating is kind of like lackluster it makes the movie i think feel so much better because i don't think like current moments you can't create it better through film because like i mean specific like nhl broadcasts are really good and everything like that but i like specifically think of watching like nfl broadcasts and it's like it feels like i'm in a video game it is so perfect it is so crisp it is so like like it feels like a 
it is an uncanny valley like in its own sense kind of thing because it's too perfect Mm -hmm. so it's the fact that they were able to kind of recreate this game and everything like that and it looks so good because it is hockey players that are playing and are being filmed and also because like the alternative is like the grainy like zoomed in from like the rafters footage like it just it makes it feel almost that much more real and you feel almost there more because it is like it is so well done in my Mm -hmm. opinion I think one of the things that I don't even want to say hasn't aged well, but just what I think like would make this movie insufferable if it were launched today was that this would be a movie that generated a lot of that generates a lot of discourse if it came out today. And yes. like, you know, we were saying like, yeah, to my knowledge, no one ever had a bad thing to say about Herb Brooks. I guarantee you we would find out if oh, it came absolutely. out today. We would be milkshake ducking this man. Um, yeah, and 100%. Maybe, like, and maybe, you know, and I'm not even saying this in a kids these days kind of way, but maybe that's also the reason why we don't do these like inspirational based on true story movies anymore is because we know that if it was a powerful white man, not that Herb Brooks is the most powerful man in the world, but like we know that there are probably some skeletons in that closet. Um, and well, and even especially because like kind of as we touched on earlier, all of our inspirational sports movies are about like powerful white coaches bringing to or Denzel in Remember the Titans with his white other mm-hmm. like white assistant coach, but like bringing up these black boys or like uniting the team or like everything like that. And it's like, yeah, I bet there's a lot of shit to say about like, I mean, specific coaches that were in heavily racialized schools. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's like a lot to be said mm-hmm. that wouldn't be as inspirational. And then I think a thing that hasn't necessarily aged well, um, and this is just a general complaint about the movie, is that I feel like what's the point of casting a wonderful actress like Patricia Clarkson if you're going to just write, like underwrite this kind of pathetic little role for her? Like it's not, it's it's not great for me. Um, It's not like the worst sin in the world, but it's a very standard kind of thing of the era of the underwritten wife character. Underwritten wife and we need a conflict of some kind. The Herbie we work need... too much. And it's like, yeah, but we fucking know he works too too yeah. much. He like we don't need this shown to us through yeah. the family. This, this is making me think, and I don't think you've seen this because this is an Apple series, but uh the new series Platonic, have you it's a really, really good series. It's really, really funny. Seth Rogan and Rose Byrne, but uh particularly with the episode that came out yesterday I have never seen a comedy do this where like a big part of like the central tension between Rose Byrne and her husband, they like regularly apologize to one another. And like, you know, in this recent episode, like they really like worked out an issue. And it's like that you normally don't think that makes for good TV, but it really does. And so like, I do appreciate that they kind of like wrap up their conflict, like Herb and his wife um, at Patty, I believe is her name. Um, But uh, like, that we actually see them kind of come to an understanding, but then she's just kind of like, okay, bye, movie. Like, um, <laughs> but I'm winning gold, honey. Yeah. But what I do think ages very well about this movie is that I think at the same time, like, uh, even though I'd say he'd probably be, be milkshake ducked, um, I think her Brooks in this movie is a very positive role model of masculinity. Um, mm. And like the way he has the boys over for Christmas and they become part of his family, even though he said, like, you know, I'm not your friend, but we see him very clearly open his heart to the boys and like the way he listens to them when they talk about like him bringing in a ringer and stuff and like he does actually model a lot of very good coaching behavior and so I think that's the thing that has aged very well about this movie because we need Mm -hmm. more heroes 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're settling in for a good old couch-locked physical movie marathon, the edibles hit. What are some of the other, other pieces of media from that era, either movies or games or albums or TV shows that you think you would check out, you know, to put you back in that 2004 mindset? Okay. Um, so I have... Um, so... And- well, I'll pertain to like the conversation that we were having today. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, American Idiot came out in 2004. Uh, I realized this because I was looking up when the Leafs' first overall draft pick was born, and he was born in 2004. So I will be laying in traffic. Um, but <laughs> I thought he was born in 2005, actually. Ugh! No, it was 2004 because I realized that College Dropout also came out the same year. And so, yeah, this kid is the same age as College Dropout. And I... The kids shouldn't be the born next, anymore. The next draft picks, the next ones, will be born after I lost my virginity. Jesus Christ! Um, but I anyways. could be there. I could be their whore mother. <laughs> I am your mother. <laughs> um, but American idiot, especially like pertaining to our conversation about patriotism and the immediate post 9-11 we love america america's the best toby keith is going to be our new president type conversations and then 2004 it's been a few years we we i mean we were in afghanistan but like america's been in iraq and you have american idiot come out and i was thinking about american idiot the other day because i was like holy fuck like that was a pretty insane album for me to be listening to like in 2004 and be like yeah fuck propaganda Mm -hmm. yeah like Mm -hmm. It's about, like, Holiday. I really listen to Holiday. And I'm like, that's a pretty ballsy record to come out, like, post 9-11. And the fact that it still stands up is such a good record. Like, it wasn't just, like, a reactionary, like, we hate America, like, which always banks. But, like, it is a very good record that I think still holds up and I think is a really good insight into, like, the counterculture mm-hmm. of that time that we did like we definitely experienced because american idiot was huge but also to think about it like in retrospect compared to everything else that we were being forced mm-hmm. like force fed liz did you ever listen to the rock against bush albums no but oh. i've heard about them <laughs> i might i need to find someone to talk about i might need to do a tales from the rec room on rock against bush volumes one and two um i think Green Day had Favorite Son, which I don't think is on any of their studio albums, but Favorite Son is a fantastic one about the incompetency of George W. Bush. Um, but yeah, like same same vibe, same era, Rock Against Bush albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really good look into like the counter patriotism of it all kind of thing. And then I mentioned my beloved Kyle Chandler and then I started thinking and have a double feature. You can't really have a double feature because one is a movie and the other is like a five season length TV show. But have the a edible has hit. <laughs> exactly. You're there. You're part of the couch now. It's fine. The edible will rule when you hit season two. But Friday Night Lights, the movie Friday Night Lights, so Friday Night Lights is based on the book by uh, let me tell you one second. Um, but essentially it is following a high school football team in uh, like southern Texas, like Texas, Texas, oil Texas in the 80s. Um, I highly recommend the book as well. It is such an interesting look at how sports interplays with all these things we've been talking about society class race uh just everything and then think about it's reagan 80s which all of this taking place too uh lights 
yeah so yeah so the book is by hg bissinger uh who's like a prolific like sports um writer uh, i highly recommend reading the book but then so there's the movie that has billy bob thornton in it as like the head coach and it follows the book pretty closely um in terms of like it's the 80s town it's the same plot hits everything like that and it's this kind of sports movie where you're watching this team come up and come together and they have the big game and like I mean, it, this movie came out in 2004. I don't care. They're pretty sure like they lose the championship game, which is mm-hmm. also like one of my favorite kind of like switches on like the sports movie when you have like, fuck yeah, we're coming together. We're going to win this. And then it's like, you have to like come together afterwards and be like, well, fuck me. Um, and then following the success of the movie, uh, Fox produced the TV show Friday Night Lights, uh, starring my beloved Carl Chandler and Connie Brighton. Connie Brighton was the coach's wife in the movie and the TV show. She mm-hmm. got to carry that role over because she's fucking exceptional. But it follows the same vibe. It's not the exact same plot points, but it is all of these things we've been talking about of like community and sports and what does sports mean to a community and build it like these characters and who they are in the team and what they mean to the team. And it has, uh, if you don't want to commit to the whole TV show, the pilot of Friday Night Lights is one of the greatest episodes of television that I have ever watched. Mm -hmm. It is perfect TV. And I mean, you're going to want to watch more after the pilot, but it's just, I think everything that we've talked about hits like Friday Night Light hits hits those, and not always perfectly. Like there's really clunky like abortion storylines, and like the race stuff is definitely like I don't know. Maybe like with hindsight, we could have done this a lot better. But like it is like at its roots, just like what do sports mean to people, and what and what do there's, it's about people within sports kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I only went for one sports movie on my list, which was um, released the same year as this, and that's Bend It Like Beckham. Um, Because, you know, like, we talk about the fact that sports movies, while great, like, not everyone feels represented by them. And Bend It Like Beckham is a fantastic movie. Like, that was... I, I don't think people realize, like, I was in the ninth grade when it came out, how incredibly revolutionary that movie was to actually show a brown girl succeeding at soccer. And the movie is all about her being supported by her mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that that is a movie that, for some reason, like, even though it's still unambiguously regarded as great, it hasn't, like, endured the way others have. Like, no one talks about Bennett like Beckham anymore, even though it is... It's an expression people use. And I think some people don't even realize, like, yeah, that was a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so then in terms of another movie, I would have people watch that is not a sports movie, but for some reason fills me with almost the exact same emotions, Spider-Man 2. A, a great sequel. Uh, I can't decide which is better. I go back and forth between the first one and the second one is better. Both amazing villains, Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe are two of my favorite people. But I'll go with Spider-Man 2 because of the scene on the subway where, um, oh. you know, and they're like, we won't tell anyone, Mr. Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> we're New York. You mess with what? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm French Canadian. <laughs> Um, I've been doing the worst Boston accent throughout <laughs> this, so it's okay. We're, we're just hitting the marks. <laughs> they should know. They expect it at this point. Yes, absolutely. Um, but the whole, like, triumph of the human spirit thing, um, and for when, like, you watch Miracle and you're not ready to feel bad yet, okay, put on Spider-Man 2. 
<laughs> Put on the one where Gwen Stacy doesn't die. No, oh. this is the happy one. This is the one where Alfred Molina fucking sacrifices himself. This is we we love this one. And then um I I was also gonna say like American idiot to, you know, kind of tie <laughs> yourself off after all that patriotism. But I actually went for something that is very much like if I were if I watched this and then I wanted to go out and take a lap. If I watched mm. this and I wanted to like go work out or something because I was all jacked up on hockey, which I often am. Mm, yeah. Hot fuss by the killers. Perfect album. Absolutely perfect album. You don't realize how many fucking bangers are on it until you like sit down and you listen to it and you're like, holy shit, these mm-hmm. are all on the same album. <laughs> like, I feel like the art of albums is kind of lost. Again, this is like absolutely a Tales from the Rec Room thing and why I want to talk about albums is because like everything is all about the single drop now mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like, that's just the era in which we live. I'm, it's not, It's not a problem with society or anything, but... It's just that, like, nature of the market kind of Yeah, just... but so as a result, like, I I really love, like, just the feeling of an album as a collective, and albums don't fucking go as hard anymore. They no. really don't. No, I'm getting don't. albums with, like, six songs on them. What? No. Why? Or, like, 30, and I'm like, no, 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 that's too many. Give like, me to... give me 12. Yeah. At least 50% bops. Bangers and bops. Give me a little bit of cohesiveness. Like, yeah. come on, we, we know that there has to be, like, a general kind of vibe here, you guys. It can't just be like, boom, 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 boom. Like, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. All right, Liz, well, thank you for being with us on the fifth episode of Tales from the Rec Room. If you want to get, once again, if people have made it this far, uh, plug where we can find you and listen to you and Helen have a lot of feelings. Uh, I'm now realizing that off the top, I never actually said my Twitter username. Uh, so that's I'm going to put that in in post. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at yeah, no, for sure. Uh, that's spelled uh, yeah, Y-A. And um, you can listen to me yell about hockey with Helen um, at Real Good Pros. We're on Twitter. We're also wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, that's good with a U after good old Mike Babcock. Um, yeah, to come on the singing ship with me. I'll be there till I have to be kicked off. Near my God to thee. As for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and you can find me online. Um, I'm prune underscore underscore Tracy on Twitter. I, as of, again, it's July 6th. I'm trying to pull away from Twitter. Who knows? I might relapse. Um, I, I was telling Liz right before we started recording, my ADHD is doing okay these days. <laughs> so that's why I'm not on Twitter a lot. <laughs> but this is coming out two weeks from now. It's it's going to be, uh, it, it could be a whole new world. But uh, yeah, so I'm at prune underscore underscore Tracy. But if you want to find me on Blue Sky, it's just prune Tracy, all one word. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at Rec Room Tales. Uh, if you are already following Peak Show, it is the same. I just changed the handle. So new episodes come out on Thursdays during the summer. And you can join us back in the Rec Room next week with our good friend Kelsey Goldman. She is back to talk about the underrated teen movie, Get Over It. Take it easy and thank you for listening. Thank you.